Fidget spinner. Fidget spinner. Fidget spinner. <laughs> you know, one time I asked a fidget to spin and she said the correct term is little person. <laughs> Ghostbusters should be men. Drunk uncle. Never gonna keep you back, never gonna let you back, never gonna rub my mouth this year around. Oh, oh no, the trunk uncle. So I'm not, so I'm not big watch beach body, okay? So I am not Groot, okay? So I'm, so I'm not eight fast, eight furious, okay? That's not me. Uh, it's not anyone. Uh, hey. Trunk hey, uncle. Hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, it's fully, fully in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. You're my best friend. Oh, that's insane. Colin. Best friend? Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Do a shot with me. Okay. Do a shot. Do a shot with me. Do a me. shot with Come me. Come on, one for the road, please. Just do but one I can't. Shot I'm here. Do one shot with me, right? Come do on, one. do a shot with me. Okay. 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 All right, Great. for you, I'll do one shot. Thank you. Okay, Thank you God. first. There's one empty chamber and five bullets. Drunk Uncle, everyone. Never gonna give you. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing every officially released Cut for Time sketch from the first half of season 45. And we'll also be emptying our SNL After Party mailbag to answer all of our listeners' burning questions. I'm John Murray and I'm joined this week by comedy aficionado and generally affable bloke, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you'd like to hear all of our full-length, ad-free season 45 coverage, it's available exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. It's our patrons who've made the cast possible and we are so thankful to everyone who's shown their support. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right. Enjoy. Okay, Steve, we are at episode 100 this is the centennial episode yeah i can't believe it did you think we were going to make it to 100 four years ago almost to the day when uh i sought you out on reddit i thought i was gonna be of service one time <laughs> and i'd never see anything to do with snl ever again yeah who is this joker with high in the sky ideas of starting a podcast whatever i got nothing better to do for an afternoon i'll i'll, I'll record a trial cast with him what what the hell yeah but it's it's panned out pretty well and i yeah. must say it's been an enjoyable ride the sucker says he's gonna send me a microphone whatever i guess i'm getting a mic out of the deal might, might as well indulge him um yeah and here we are four years later we've covered officially three and a half seasons though we did a half season of season 41 in the ramp up to launching the cast so we've actually covered four seasons worth of snl as of today yes yeah 
it's just flown by. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know um, what the right word is to describe how I'm feeling, other than uh, just yeah, surprised that we made it to a hundred. That the last four years have had so many pleasant surprises, and uh, yeah, just a, a lot more fun and excitement than I was ever expecting this little podcast was going to generate. Uh, we found our audience. We, uh, you know, we made a few fans, we made a few friends and, uh, it's, it's really, really been a surprising journey up to this point. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that the person that, you know, I initially, uh, reached out to that kind of, I started the journey with is still in the fold. It's amazing that, uh, yeah, you're still here. Isn't that great? Yeah. With all of your, you know, struggles with straws and the other pitfalls along the way, it's, uh, it's great that, uh, yeah, you can still come up and, uh, talk a little SNL. Oh, for sure. And yeah, if I were to go back four years from now, this has been the one constant, everything else in my <laughs> life true. is different now. And this is the one thing I'm still doing. Yeah, I've I've definitely Skyped with you and seen at least four different backdrops. So you've been through a few different locations along the way. Uh yeah, a few different lady friends too, I think. So yeah, you've you've uh <laughs> you you've definitely been on life's journey and I'm glad that if nothing else the podcast has been that one stabilizing constant thing that uh you know, you can always fall back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not trying to get, uh, too emotional. It's just, uh, trying to take stock of the last four years. You know, we've probably spent two to 300 hours talking SNL over the last little while. And, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't help, but, uh, get a little nostalgic anyways. <laughs> um, We've got a little Q and a that we're going to do after we run through these cut for time sketches. So we're probably going to have a lot more to say, you know, about, uh, the journey and some of the experiences we've had along the way. So let's not, uh, get too much into that. Why don't we, uh, thank one of our new patrons and then jump into our cut for time sketches. What do you think? Yeah, let's do some thank yous. Sure. We've got Becky Davis of reading Massachusetts who recently came on board and is supporting us on Patreon. And we are so very, very thankful for her support and, uh, to all of our patrons. We're thankful for everyone that's come on board and, uh, has been willing to shoulder a bit of the load because, uh, this is a expensive endeavor and every little penny absolutely does help. So thank you so much to Becky and to all of our patrons, new and old. That was a great thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little wistful today. So, um, Probably that wine you're drinking. <laughs> it could be. It could be. <laughs> uh, so before we jump into our cut for time sketches, I'm just going to give people a little heads up. If you haven't seen these sketches, everything that we're going to cover tonight is available on YouTube and I'm going to provide the links in the show notes. So if you haven't watched the cut for time sketches, pause the podcast, check out the notes, hop over to YouTube, load up your VPN. If you're not in the United States, uh, watch them, come on back and then we'll have some fun. All right. So with that PSA out of the way, let's do a little bit of cut it or keep it for the cut for time sketches for the first half of season 45. You ready to jump in, Steve? Sure. Sure. All right. From the Phoebe Waller bridge episode, we get a pre-tape Tampax secrets is the only tampon hidden inside other things you'd rather take out of your bag in public. So cut it or keep it. Yeah, man, if they had had the time for this one, I would have said, keep this one on because I liked it. Mm -hmm. It gave me a good few laughs. The whole stigma on lady products is it's uh, definitely worth uh, picking through for comedy. Sure. And you could definitely make a series out of these types of sketches. I mean, like there's so many things women have to deal with things like this, things like breastfeeding. There's really like a whole spectrum of, of issues to do with, you know, just 
really not really respecting what's what's natural and and should just be accepted. Sure. Uh, so yeah, great great avenue to go down, and uh, I enjoyed it. It was well put together, and it really hit those types of commercials, you know, style wise. So good on the production team for hitting those notes. Yeah, no, it was definitely pitch perfect. The first time I'm watching it, I was thinking that the joke is, oh, isn't it funny that all of the things that the uh, like product designers at Tampax came up with to hide the, the tampon are actually kind of more vile and like repugnant and potentially more embarrassing than a tampon. I thought that was the joke, but I watched a couple more times through and I think what they're really saying with this is no, there is nothing more embarrassing than pulling out a tampon. So a girl would rather pull out a little dog turd or a dead mouse or a human skull or anything to not have to do that. So, um, I don't know if maybe there's a a female perspective on this particular issue that can add a bit more context or a bit more nuance to, to what I'm seeing, but whether you take it just as the fun sight gags of what are all the other ridiculous things that you could hide a tampon in that should be more embarrassing, uh, whether you just take it on those terms or you take it as a comment on how you know, annoying this must be for women to have to deal with constantly and how there's anything else that, you know, that would be an improvement on the situation for them. Either way, I think this is pretty smart. This is pretty fun. And uh, yeah, I I liked it. I I can't say anything bad about it. Kind of wish it would have made it through. Yeah. Why don't we take a look at our next live sketch? Also from the Phoebe Waller bridge episode, we get a live sketch, new play, the cast of a new play struggle with their characters, Nebraskan accents, cut it or keep it. But maybe cut this one. Sure. It was, it was fun for the first few seconds of it, we'll say, but, uh, overall as a sketch, I think once it was rehearsed and they went through dress, I think everybody could agree that maybe (laughs) this didn't play so well. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It obviously made it to the rundown for the live show, but this was definitely not the strongest material of the night. Um, I think what this really suffered from was it was kind of one joke. And as soon as they come out with their awkward accents that don't fit the material, there was really nowhere else for it to go, but they tried to keep it alive for a solid two more minutes. And, uh, yeah, I just, I didn't get any more laughs after that first reveal. So yeah, it it just kind of got clunky and I didn't feel like it it really went anywhere. Great. So this is an easy cut for me. I I think that, uh, the Phoebe Waller bridge episode was probably better (laughs) for, for this getting chopped. Yeah. So we'll, we'll cut this one in our best, (laughs) uh, Midwestern accent, Mike. (laughs) Sure. All right. Let's move on to the David Harbor episode. We get a live sketch. Are you facing legal trouble? And do you want to make it worse? If so, call Giuliani and Associates. Cut it or keep it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I kind of want to keep it. <laughs> okay. Just because the makeup is so bad, but I think it's just bad on purpose. You know, the extra protruding brows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Frankenstein-esque yeah, <laughs> prosthetics they have for the foreheads. Yeah. The paper mache was especially bumpy on, on these guys, mm-hmm. but, uh, it was an okay sketch. We've seen a lot of law commercials, Yeah, you know, commercials for firms and it's, it's definitely had the same voice. Yeah. I mean, I do want to keep it for reasons, but I also see reasons for cutting it. We've seen so much of Giuliani. Sure. Uh, this is very on the nose. <laughs> yes. This is just about his corruption, a hundred percent. So yeah, it's it's dialed in more focused on that, but it's still a lot of what we see SNL already do. 
Uh, yeah, it does feel very familiar at the beginning, not the least of which is because we've seen Kate's Giuliani. But like you said, this format of a law commercial, it, it feels very played out at this point. But I will say that this sketch, I felt gained a lot of steam when they went to the testimonials, when they started to just bring in new characters to, uh, you know, let you know what Giuliani and associates could do for them. You know, you got the prostitute and you got the, you know, the good wholesome American guy who just made a couple of mistakes and now needs to disappear. As soon as we get those moments, I started getting some serious laughs out of it. So I, I feel like the back half of this one actually kind of redeemed it. And by the end I'm going, huh, coming out of the gate. I expected so little because it did feel like a very obvious, uh, you know, lawyer commercial setup with characters that I don't care to see, but by the end of it, I'm having a lot of fun. So surprisingly enough, I think, you know, uh, there's no reason why this needed to get chopped. The, the back half of the David Harbor episode, if I recall, did have a couple of clunkers. So, you know, maybe this would have had a place in that episode. I did like some of that stuff in the second half. Yeah. I'll give you that. Good enough. Moving on to Chance the Rapper, we get a live sketch. Anti-drug advocates, the Sober Brothers, learn all about the advantages of smoking crack. Cut it or keep it. Yeah, I'd keep this one. <laughs> yeah? I'm all about the old school PSAs. Sure. Uh, SNL does this from time to time. And just like there was a lot of these PSAs, there's a lot of material to draw from in parody. So even though it's another PSA, quote unquote, there's always going to be another aesthetic uh, that keeps it keeps it fresh. Keeps it funky fresh. Keeps it funky fresh. <laughs> now, we, we got a particularly funky bunch here with the Sober Brothers. Love the little bit they do. Kind of reminds me of something out of, uh, I don't know if you've seen Walk Hard, the Dewey, the Dewey Cox, Cox story. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's a, there's a recurring bit <laughs> yes. throughout that film. That's very much. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't think of that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. basically the selling the positives of the drug that, right. that they're doing here <laughs> and eventually turning the people that are actually against drugs, you know, over to drugs. Right. This was done in its own way. And it was, it was done in a way that I thought worked really well. and was funny. So mm -hmm. even though I recognize the bit from other things, that's, you know, it was still its own thing enough. Sure. I like this a lot. I think you need Keenan to make this kind of stuff work because the initial reveal, you know, of his true motivation. Okay. Maybe I'm not a hundred percent, you know, anti-drug and, and maybe I'm a little intrigued. He says that kind of with his, his face at first, you know, it's not super overt. It's just like a little glance and that little, he like cocks his head like, Oh, you know, that's a, that's, that's a neat thought. I never, never really looked at it like that. And maybe, maybe I do want to try this crack. So, it's because he, as a character, kind of begins to reveal himself first subtly and then more obviously until it's ridiculous at the end. Um, that progression, I felt they really nailed in this sketch. And I also just like that it didn't overstay its welcome and it kind of knew what sort of tone it wanted to strike. We all know the after school special type of aesthetic. We all know the, the Saturday morning PSAs. So as one of those, I, I think that, you know, that's a great way to frame <laughs> this kind of a character. And, uh, yeah, I liked it. It was simple. This is not exceptional, but I was grinning, had some fun with it. I would have kept this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't see a reason not to. Absolutely. Moving right along. We get to the Kristen Stewart episode, a live sketch, young privileged artists perform at an open mic, cut it or keep it. Um, this could stay cut. I would say. Mm-hmm. It maybe could work as a decent 10 to one if it was cut down a bit into something shorter. Sure. Not to say that they didn't 
get a lot of the stereotypes of these types <laughs> of uh of uh, social spheres uh they definitely got those correct in a lot of them <laughs> and you know as varying as that can be they hit all those different personalities mm-hmm. they didn't do much else other than kind of bring you into that world but uh like i said maybe some kind of shortened version could work on the show but i'd cut what we saw okay fair enough uh, i think i liked it a lot more than you actually a couple things first off the Kristen stewart episode was a challenging episode so I think that this probably could have gone toe to toe with most of what made it into that episode. Sure. <laughs> but, but even still, like, even if we're not grading it on a curve, I really liked the setup here. I liked the idea of these privileged kids, uh, singing about problems that could only be seen as problems to them. And, uh, I, I just like those kind of irredeemable self-centered characters who are sincere. You know, they don't realize that they're terrible. It's kind of like Jules who sees things a little differently. You know, there, there's the, the character that is happy, go lucky, but also obnoxious. I, I think there's humor in that. So I was okay with where we started with this. What I really would have liked to see is a lot more of Kate and Kristen's story to unfold, right? Cause in their first song they reveal, oh, we were raised in uh, persecution, Pennsylvania or whatever. And our, our dad told us it was the 1800s, you know, and we had to live behind the fence. And so they, they kind of illuminate something really interesting about their backstory. And then they come back for another go round and they reveal that th- they kind of have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. Like they actually long for the captivity of the cult that they grew up in. So that's, that's the meat of the sketch right there. And I feel like they just scratched the surface of what they could have done with that. If they'd gone back to them and slowly with a couple more songs or at least maybe one more song to sort of get you from a to z like help you to kind of understand where their thinking's at originally they're fronting they're talking about how great their life is in la but slowly you realize no their heart's still back in this terrible situation back in pennsylvania (laughs) if they if they'd filled that out a bit more i think this could have been more of a win than i thought it was but i still thought just as something that's forgettable but competent i was i was still having fun with it so i was okay with it. I would have liked to see it in the show, but I think one more rewrite and this could actually have been pretty smart. So, uh, maybe I'm just, uh, giving it a, a thumbs up for the potential that I saw in it. But anyways, this, this one actually got me thinking that there was, there was something of value there that maybe would go over people's heads because it does kind of move kind of quick. And if you're not on board with these terrible characters, you could check out pretty quick. So I could totally get why it wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea, but I thought there was something there. Fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, some version of this could work. Sure. Exactly. So I'm not saying otherwise. Yeah. And that's one thing about SNL is something that could potentially have a lot of funny in it. They don't always have the opportunity in the, the short period of time that they can draft these up to really mine it to its full potential. I think this is maybe one that given an extra day to look at it with fresh eyes and say, where's the funny in this? They really could have brought it out some more, but Hey, that's just how they roll at SNL. Let's take a look at the Harry Styles episode. We get a pre-tape. Bullied older brother Scotty raps about his much cooler younger brother Jason. Cut it or keep it. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we'll cut it. There was stuff that was giving me a chuckle. Like just the whole uh, cringiness of everything that Kyle does (laughs) has a special place in my heart. So I'm just loving the vibe of it. Uh, Just like the first time they did this kind of thing. Uh, with Colby and everything. Sure. But yeah, that's part of the reason maybe why I would cut it because we've, we've seen this before. Maybe it was too much of a rehash to merit it being done again. 
but Harry was kind of fun. He does the American accent pretty well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's just his dumb jock <laughs> with a heart of gold character. Yeah. He kind of hit that pretty, pretty well. More, yeah. You know, his acting chops from working with Christopher Nolan is, sure. is paying <laughs> off, I guess. I'm sure they just set him up with the first season of Glee or something and said, yeah, just absorb all of this. Um, well, I'm going to cut you off because you are so wrong. This, I think, is one of the top cut for time sketches that we have in our rundown tonight. I love this. I thought it was fantastic. I, I think it got me some of the biggest laughs of our, uh, of our cut for times. And um, I, I don't know why I have to explain this, why, why there's brilliance here. But I guess I do, because what Kyle Mooney does with these. And it's, he's not working in a bubble. So I want to give, you know, credit where credit is due. Um, you know, Will Steven works on these, uh, it's a pre-tape. So half of the work is done, you know, with the direction and the editing as well. So there's a lot of people that kind of make these work, but I, I think we need to appreciate a little bit about what all is going on in this sketch. First off they're they're spoofing a bygone era. We've got late eighties, early nineties, sort of like after school kid fair, something in the vein of saved by the bell. You've got that mashed up with the, the cheesiest of hip hop. And then you've got Chris red as Colby coming in and stealing Scotty's thunder every time, right? Like Scotty's dad loves Colby more. Scotty's brother loves Colby more. That that's fun because you're, you're watching this sincere kid who, uh, he's following all the rules. He's, he's drunk the Kool-Aid, right? Like when your parents tell you, well, you shouldn't fight and it's good to follow the rules. And you know what? The cool kids are the ones that know how to walk away from a fight and the ones that do their homework Because someday people are going to appreciate, you know, like there's all that <laughs> right. propaganda that the nerds have to absorb to have any measure of self-respect in school. And this character, this Kyle Mooney character has had to cling to all of that to have any, you know, measure of self-esteem. <laughs> and the truth is that's all crap. <laughs> you know, like his, his brother is off lifting it up. He, he, he loves his brother and he's not trying to rub it in his face. But the second he starts thinking about like his sexual encounters, he just has to go off for like a 30 second tear on just how awesome it is. <laughs> sure. And, he, and, and all of that I think is just gold. I, I, I don't know. I, I think this stuff is fantastic and underappreciated. I get why it isn't everyone's cup of tea, but yeah, I eat this stuff up. I think it's great. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're making me feel bad for saying cut. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, you know, of, of everything we had seen in the episode, I mean, we'd have to start hacking things away. We'd have to start making sacrifices of things we've already seen. Sure. This is how I'm, I'm interpreting your rules. Well, yeah, no, no, don't, don't overthink it. If it's a good sketch, keep it. Even if it was on a uh, good show where maybe, you know, you wouldn't want to cut something else in its place. If it's a good sketch, don't uh, give it a thumbs down just, you know, because we're thinking too meta about it. But regardless, if it's not your cup of tea, I'm not, I'm not going to harp on it. I just, I, I just, I'm really charmed by this stuff. Right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get off that jag. Let's talk about the Will Ferrell episode. Okay. We get a pre-tape. Wrangler peekaboos for men, the all-purpose male denim jean with the fun, flirty peekaboo window. Cut it or keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I would say keep it. Sure. Not that I want to be seeing this, but that's the joke, is that nobody wants this. Sure. Putting a little cleavage there in the dress for the ladies, you know, that's something that men would actually be attracted to, but nobody <laughs> wants to see this, this style. Sure. It does not carry over, but that's the... The humor of it, that 
that it assumes that it can transfer over. And yes. everybody involved with this commercial is in on this and seems to believe this. <laughs> and, and yeah, the whole vibe they've created here is, is great. And I had a good time. It was, it was hilarious to me. Yeah, no, this is fantastic because what they're doing is they're really asking the question, what if women looked at men sort of like a piece of meat, the way that people would assume that men look at women, you know, right. where the more they flaunt, you know, the, the more alluring that is, you see the girls at the bar and, you know, they're actually raising an eyebrow and, and they're intrigued by this confident man with the butt cleavage. Um, they're basically doing a bizarre world They're They're saying, you know, what if women acted like men and men acted like women? And that's fun. That's a lot of fun. It's a lot like, um, Schmidt's gay from back in the day, right? You've got a beer commercial where you've got all the tropes <laughs> of a beer commercial, but we've got men standing in the place of, you know, women at this pool party. And just because you're showing men doing something that is so characteristically, uh, a cliche male fantasy, it feels so bizarre to watch. And, in that is a lot of fun. And so watching this is a lot of fun and watching everyone in the scene, just taking it at face value. Like this is reality and this is what is alluring. And this is, you know, what men should be striving for in their fashion. I love it. That's fun. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, I would uh, definitely keep this one. I would keep it as well. Beautiful. Might get a pair. <laughs> All right. I do not want to see that. Also from the Will Ferrell episode, we get a live sketch. A group of drama students wait eagerly for their teacher to post the cast list. Cut it or keep it. Yeah, this could have been a great sketch to keep. Sure. Just because, you know, the cast that we got right now with our Becks and our Bowens and our Heidi's, we got so many cast members who can really do all the different stereotypes you'd see in the high school drama department. Sure. A lot of this is definitely eerily close to what a lot of you know drama students would have been used to mm -hmm. myself included and uh yeah that's that was part of the fun of it and having the cast be where they're at with their skill set just made visiting a high school setting that much more enjoyable yeah. and will was just so great as the teacher mm -hmm. and he just hammed that up to <laughs> to delight Really, yes. it really did belong among the sketches of, of that episode. So yeah, definitely keep this one. Yeah. Agreed. There was a lot of truth on display here. Our current cast is excellent at playing high school kids and, and yeah, just playing up all of the stupidity that goes along with that age. Um, you, you said a lot like Will Ferrell obviously put this over the top as the teacher that is walking a very inappropriate line <laughs> with how he's engaging with his students. Um, but they're all so desperate uh, for their, their shot at high school level fame that yeah, everybody is just a hundred percent in this. And uh, it's true. It's so true. I've, I've seen this. I've been a part of this where your whole world is going to uh, rise or fall, <laughs> you know, based on the whim of a teacher or, or yeah, some, some mundane situation that in the grand scheme of things really doesn't matter. But at that age, it's everything. Uh, <laughs> right. So yeah, all of that truth is, is on display and it was played perfectly and it was so much fun. And I just, I loved every minute of this. I ate it up. I think this was definitely one of the best of the cut for time sketches. So I just want to hand it to Mikey day and Streeter Seidel. When, when they bring one home, they really, really bring one home. <laughs> but one of the seniors will be very disappointed. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, that one kid that the teacher finds insufferable that you know that they're persecuting. Like this this teacher doesn't even pretend to have any kind of objectivity. He's just toying with these students, you know. Uh yeah. Oh, it's 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 glorious. It's delicious. <laughs> and uh yeah, all of the tropes, all of the cliches for the different uh high schoolers. We all know those kids. We do. I loved it. Oh yeah. I loved it. Keep it. Uh the Will Ferrell episode was strong. I just kind of wish they'd had a two hour runtime because there was a lot of great stuff they left behind on this one. And, uh, it's kind of sad because this, this could have been, uh, like a, a season highlight as far as I'm concerned. I think this one really came together. Nice. They should let them go long. I mean, you know, when they have like, for instance, that Miley Cyrus episode that went a half hour late, they let them have the whole time. Sure. Just a half hour later. So they can extend it. <laughs> Yeah, they just can't really do it impromptu. And you know what? It's not like the show knows from week to week when they're really going to just have a glut of riches, uh, you know, to go with. So it's not like they can get ahead of it and go to the network and block out the time or anything. It's only when they're doing a stunt like, you know, the arcade fire thing that they did a few seasons back where they kept the cameras rolling for an extra half hour. Those are the kind of things where they can make the show run long. But yeah, you just, you never know when lightning's going to strike and you're just going to get all this great material and you're going to have a host that sells all of it and you realize man yeah we could have gone a half an hour longer this week when you have a glut a glut absolutely oh okay <laughs> all right so uh moving right along we got a couple more here from the will ferrell episode we got a live sketch date in mexico a man becomes an emotional wreck when his moldovan girlfriend dumps him cut it or keep it she's a keeper <laughs> he's in love he's in love <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved it because it is one of those few moments where show don't tell that golden rule in sure. storytelling uh, doesn't apply. And in fact, the opposite is used to great effect, you know, simple setting of uh, sitting there as this narrative unfolds. Sure. And all we're looking at is a couple of tables on a patio and Every time we get an answer to a question, we get three more questions to answer <laughs> and it right. just snowballs into this amazing, uh, I don't know what to call it, but let's just say, you know, when it comes to eccentrics, they're all going to be completely unique. And I guess that is probably one of the most fun things to do as a comedy writer is sure. to come up with an eccentric because, you know, every normal person is normal the same. But every crazy person is crazy in their own sure. crazy, unique way. Yep. And we got a really interesting eccentric here with what they've come up with for Will's character. And yeah, you just had to find out. You cannot blame Cecily <laughs> or Chris for, you know, wanting to know <laughs> and, and paying more attention than strangers probably should in that situation. Yes. Yeah. It was just all so great. Yeah, this is a sketch that really highlights what Will Ferrell brings to a show. Because this is material that could have got so awkward and so hard to watch if the performer wasn't 100% committed to being the eccentric. And Will Ferrell just, he, he seems to excel in that regard. Um, yeah, he's just unabashedly terrible and uh it, it works so well in this sketch you know uh he's even just saying things casually um almost wearing them like a badge of honor not realizing that uh he's being self-deprecating like he says like my mom says i make bad decisions or whatever but he, he's <laughs> he doesn't kind of realize as he's saying it just how disturbing that is for people to <laughs> yeah. around you to hear i don't know just yeah a great character a lot of fun but 
there's not a whole lot to this sketch. You, you really do have to lay it at Will Ferrell's feet to make it work, but where they got with it because of the performances was so good. So delicious. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Definitely, definitely keep it. Yeah. If again, you have the two hour runtime. <laughs> yeah. And I love the, the Wiley coyote esque setup of the, the lobster and caviar. Sure. Like the more prepaid things that were set up for him to enjoy <laughs> with his so-called, uh, love of his life. Right. Y- you just knew at that point she wasn't going to be showing up. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just loved, uh, I loved how nihilistic this, this was for Will. Yeah. That's part of it. It's what can we keep on this guy? Like how far can he be pushed before he has his breakdown? Yeah. You, you get it with the food, you get it with, you know, the phone call and then the subsequent phone call where, you know, she's in bed with another guy and she doesn't even remember his name. And, uh, he kind of has to convince himself, <laughs> you know, that none of this means what it so obviously means that he's just at a really low point in his life. And he's just trying to try to keep a, a grin on his face. <laughs> And yeah, move on to his next love of his life. Oh yeah. Just, oh, delightful to watch because it's so disturbing. He's not well off. No, he is not well off. (laughs) His mom says he makes bad decisions. (laughs) Uh, okay. Moving right along. We get another live sketch. The always competitive Will Ferrell assumes a role that was written for Harry Styles. Cut it or keep it. (laughs) Oh man. I don't think I could say cut it if I, if I wanted to. Okay. Yeah. Against every effort for the contrary, you know, I ended up enjoying this so much. <laughs> I, I, I kind of rolled my eyes when, when the, when the crawl happened and yeah. we're like, okay, this is what the sketch is going to be. It's going to be Will trying to do Harry Styles. And even <laughs> though they've spelt it out in the beginning, I was kind of like, wow, whatever. Yeah. It was still amazing. Sure. And, the, the lens that Will went to to try to be that young boy band-esque. <laughs> by the time we got to the singing towards the end, you know, this was this was a freaking treat. And there's sure. there's no lack of better term here. This was just a freaking treat. Yes, it was. Through and through. It absolutely was. And again, this is stuff that it, it has to be written for Will Ferrell. You can't, you can't presume that any host is going to be able to come in and commit to this kind of stuff. What makes it so delicious and such a fricking treat is how gloriously bad he is at playing Harry Styles, but how everyone in the scene is, is a hundred percent, uh, enamored by his performance, <laughs> you know, like, and, and they're letting these girls, these, you know, these middle school mall rats say the most horrendous vulgarities, you know, for kids their age. So yeah, this one is just swinging for the fences across the board. And, uh, there's, there is something just so delightful about that. Yeah. All, all of the girls and, and their little quips were great. Will Ferrell as such a deliciously terrible Harry Styles is great. You wouldn't think that something like this would have legs. And like you said, you're, you're watching the crawl go by and you're like, okay, this, uh, this could be a little weird or a little awkward, but no, no, he makes it work. So yeah, another, another keeper. Yeah. I'm, I'm really amazed at how much material they had for the Will Ferrell show that could have played on the, the live show. Um, yeah, I guess everyone just really brings out their best when Will Ferrell shows up. They do. Now, Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. We get a live sketch. Holiday gig. The front man of the Treese Hilderson trio openly discusses his bandmates' personal health issues. 
We've seen this before. We've never seen it with Eddie Murphy. Cut it or keep it. Maybe cut this one. Okay. Although I did like Eddie in this sketch. <laughs> sure. I just didn't think it was the best of these sketches that we've seen. Uh, not because Eddie wasn't so great in it. It was more so, you know, the writing of it. Maybe it just didn't come together as tightly in that rehearsal that we sure. saw it in. So I'd say maybe keep this one cut. But, you know, while I still enjoyed it at times and any excuse to see more Eddie is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say this was deserving to be alongside a lot of what we saw in that episode. I agree. I like the Tree Silverson Trio sketches. I, I think that it's just funny and I think Keenan makes it work. Uh, so I enjoy seeing them. But I was at this dress rehearsal, actually, and I, I remember watching it. I was actually sitting right over top of um, Heidi Gardner's part of the set where they're the peanut gallery. They're the audience. I was right above that part of the, the set or the staging for this one. Okay. And uh, I remember watching it and I thought, okay, two big problems with the sketch. It doesn't give Eddie a chance to shine. And we've already seen him shine in so much material where he's front and center. And it's this crowd pleasing stuff where he gets to go to 11 with a character. And in this one this is all about Keenan and it's Keenan that we've seen before and it doesn't go in any new directions. It's going to be surprising and it keeps Eddie squarely in a supporting role where, uh, as good as he can be, it, it, it isn't something he can shine at. So I remember, I remember watching it that night and thinking, Oh, this is definitely the cut. It's right here. This one's going. Cause there wasn't a whole lot of fluff with the Eddie Murphy episode. Most stuff made it through. Um, but yeah, I called this one. It seemed so obvious. Everything else had Eddie front and center. Why on the Eddie Murphy episode, would you do a, a recurring bit like this where he doesn't get to own the stage? And I'm kind of glad that the production saw that as much fun as Keenan can be. <laughs> we can do this again with Keenan anytime. We don't get Eddie back just anytime. So this was a smart cut. And, uh, as much as I enjoy them, I, I think that that was the right call. So I would cut this one as well. Yeah. I mean, if they had this in there alongside with the, the cake sketch you know we'd be like what are you you're treating him like he's an athlete host come on right you know give him something to do exactly yeah yeah he he proved very early um like with mr robinson and gumby and all the rest of it that he can carry lead roles so yeah you don't you don't need to throw him in a recurring bit and just let him come along for the ride yeah put him front and center and let eddie be eddie and uh, that was the one piece of the puzzle that this sketch couldn't deliver on so yeah good cut um I'm sure we'll see Therese Hilderson back many more times before Keenan leaves. So yeah, I'm not lamenting this one. Yes. Here's to his, uh, his new bed sheets. Sure. <laughs> yes. Now to round out our cut for time sketches, we get a pre-tape from the Eddie Murphy episode, 80 Bizzo and Lizzo. 80 Bryant gets a big boost of self-confidence from Lizzo. Cut it or keep it. Mm. I'd say we keep this one because there's some fun to be had with that. It is pretty simple. You know, it's kind of like how Stella got her groove back or something <laughs> sure. like that. The The newfound confidence angle is something that's been done. Uh, and that's definitely what Lizzo is representing these days. It's all about, you know, feeling good as hell. Sure. And whatnot. So, yeah. 80 is kind of against type in that way because she is often like the bubbly, you know, Doug the pug is my boyfriend. type of character so this is you know this is against that type and while we've seen her go hard like this before it's kind of funny to see you know kind of see our 80 uh getting some faces like this so that was fun and a little bit of eddie in there was uh he was actually pretty funny in his smaller part 
Yeah. In a, in a vacuum, this is a perfectly good pre-tape. We've seen this a few times. It seems like anytime a diva comes on the show, they do a version of this. Uh, I think we saw it with either Nicki Minaj or Cardi B or maybe both of them actually. <laughs> yeah. But it it's solid, right? Like it is fun to take someone that can do meek really well and then put them into that fantasy mode where they're larger than life and they they're able to be everything they secretly wish they could be, but they don't really have the I don't know, the, the gumption or the, the bravery to do in real life. So it is funny. And anytime they do that, we've talked about it so many times, the fantasy mode versus the hard cut back to reality. And you're seeing how this person that in their head is having a moment of overwhelming confidence looks like a, a total <laughs> a dingbat, you know, like grinding on the counter there at the pages desk. Um, so the, this had a lot working for it. It, it, it is a solid thing to revisit when divas come on the show. But again, my one critique for this is the same as it was for Therese Hilderson. It doesn't put Eddie front and center. And on Eddie's show, there was enough good stuff that did that anything else we can just, we can do that another time. It's just not important tonight. Let's, let's figure out how to get Eddie back on screen. So that's why I would have cut this, you know, if we're looking at the show as a whole, but as a piece on its own in a bubble, perfectly good. I had fun with it. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. Okay, those are our cut for time sketches. So we have one big question. Which cut for time sketch was the best of the rest? I'm going to go with that date in Mexico. Okay. All right. Yeah. I would not have expected that, but okay, make your case. I just thought it was one of those times where they say, hey, let's not try to add a bunch of frills to a sketch to make up for less than solid writing let's just go for a really solidly written sketch uh that can play out satisfactorily and this i feel we got that i really feel like it didn't have to be cut for any reason other than time yeah i really would have liked to have seen will do this live this would have been awesome to see in the show so yeah out of everything we've seen I, i like a lot of what we saw in these cut for time sketches but i don't know there's something special about this one for me Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I can't add to that because it, it wouldn't have taught my list. I liked it. It was fun, but I, I don't think that it was groundbreaking. I thought that the cast list sketch had all the pieces of a great sketch. I thought the performances end to end were great. It's ensemble with so much of our new cast in the, the mix. Uh, this is Will Ferrell just being deliciously terrible as the teacher. And I just felt like they found so much truth in, in the characters and uh, the angst and what's truly important to a teenager that, uh, I don't know. I just, I was eating it up. I thought that that was just a really, really great uh, little piece that felt very true. And I almost picked that one. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad it was at least an honorable mention. Cause I think we can both agree that it was definitely a quality outing and certainly worthy of the show. If the show clock had have allowed. So, uh, that's definitely my choice. I, I think the only thing that comes close other than that one for me is, um, uh, the Jason pre-tape Kyle Mooney as Scotty, the, the put upon older brother. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun too, but I, apparently that's a little more divisive. Not everyone's on board with those, uh, Kyle Mooney early nineties raps. So I think the one that is a, an unqualified win, at least from my viewpoint has to be cast list. It's a fair choice. Very good. All right. So, uh, we can put a bookend on all of the pre holiday SNL fair. We have covered every season 45 episode up to this point and every cut for time sketch up to this point. So we're in good shape.
Hey guys, John here. Let's wrap a little bit, just us dudes, about Roveco's kick-ass Super Bassomatic 76. Now I know what you're thinking. I don't need you nagging me about the overwhelming health benefits of a diet rich in liquid fish. That's what I've got a wife for. Am I right? <laughs> of course I am. Look, after a long day of backbreaking work, the last thing any of us want is to come home to a bunch of squawking about how we drink too much red meat and not nearly enough lean, healthy, raw liquid fish. Trust me, I know. But here's what else I know. I'm not as young as I used to be. I can't throw the old pigskin as far as I used to, and let's be honest, I am not firing on all cylinders in the bedroom. That's why I'm so glad that I got my hands on Roveco's Super Bassomatic 76. It makes it quick and easy to down as many pints of cool, frothy fish as you can chug. And if you're married, there's absolutely no cleanup. Am I right? Of course I am. Now, let me tell you what you can expect when you start juicing raw fish. That receding hairline? Forget about it. Pulverized fish bone is scientifically proven to reverse hair loss. That 70-pound spare tire you've been carrying around your waist? Gone. The numerous parasites found in raw fish are proven to cause rapid dramatic weight loss preceding death. And consider your bedroom woes a thing of the past. When your lady friend gets a look at your svelte chiseled physique and full flowing lion's mane, she won't be able to resist your advances any more than she was able to with the pool boy last summer. So be a man and recapture the glory of your lost youth. Head over to Pier 25, New York, New York, and pick up your Super Bassomatic 76 today. And our thanks to Roveco for sponsoring this episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. Since this is our 100th episode, I felt like it is time for us to engage with our audience a little bit and maybe give them an opportunity to find out a little bit about us and what makes us tick because as we've discussed, you know, behind the scenes, we try to keep the show pretty focused on SNL and try to keep things moving along at a brisk pace. And as much as I think that makes for a better show overall, one thing that it, it obviously doesn't do is, is give our listeners much insight on who we are, why, you know, they might want to care about, you know, what we have to say about SNL. So to frame this conversation, I want to start with one very pointed question from the ever salty Andy Dick, our friend and sometimes collaborator from the, that week in SNL podcast. And he asks, here's an honest to God question. Why wait until episode 100 to reveal more about yourselves? Personally, I think not having a clear sense of your taste has kept me from sometimes understanding why you enjoyed a particular sketch. And also I want to hear Steve talk about rush. So this is where we're going to start tonight. Uh, I'm going to answer the first part. And then if you have anything you want to offer about rush, you, you just run with that. So, uh, basically it boils down to this, this podcast was modeled after panel shows. Some people might be familiar with, uh, the collider YouTube channel and some of the shows that they had. And actually friend of the show, Justin Gardner, um, was one of the creative forces behind, uh, AMC movie talk, which later became collider movie talk. And that was basically the template that I used when I was starting to develop this show. And basically the idea is it isn't about the host so much as do you have something valuable to say, you know, about what you're actually reviewing? Can you stay on topic? Can you move fast? And can you just stay focused? Because as most people that listen to a lot of podcasts and I was a podcast listener before a podcast producer, there's a lot of podcasts where it is just a whole lot of meandering and not getting to the point and talking about everything except the subject that people have actually tuned in for. Yeah. And I just wanted to, yeah, go 180 degrees in the other direction. And you know what? Maybe, maybe I took that a little too far or got a little too hard nosed about it, but that was my thinking at least. So Andy, that's why 
we've always steered away from that. But that said, it's not a bad idea to get a little more cash and uh, let people in on what our deal is. So that's how we're framing our little AMA tonight. Yes. It's like my mother always said, if they're not willing to listen to you for a hundred episodes, then you know, <laughs> exactly they don't deserve to know. Exactly. Exactly. But our listeners have stuck with us for a hundred episodes. So it is time to uh, divulge rush um, Canadian super band, very divisive. You either love them or you hate them. Do you have any brilliant thoughts on rush, Steve? I love rush. Okay. Definitely sat down and jammed along to moving pictures in its entirety more than once i've uh yeah i'd say neil pert's probably my favorite drummer i play uh i play drums well i used to play drums in a band <laughs> yeah he's always been a huge influence i used to be in a power trio that that played rush songs you know we hit we played limelight and uh you know yyz all the classics so i definitely got a little place in my heart for rush in fact i just watched I love you, man, for like the second or third time mm-hmm. last night, partly because it features Rush. Yes. Uh, heavily. <laughs> it's a great movie otherwise, but yeah, that's definitely a good reason to rewatch it because it's got lots of Rush. All right. Well, there you go, Andy. Even though uh, you do not support us on Patreon, I hope you got your money's worth. Yeah. Moving right along. Reddit user bro0318. Okay, we'll go with that. BR0318. How did you both meet and decide on starting the podcast? Now, I'm sure we both have a, a version of this story, but you know what? Before I tell my version, I want to hear yours, Steve, because I don't think that we've ever actually revisited any of the, the early days. So uh, lay it out for our audience. Well, I guess, uh, I guess this all starts from having, you know, a, a more intense than normal obsession with <laughs> a certain television show. And uh, taking to certain message boards to, I guess, share that love with like-minded people. Sure. You know, it's funny because I had a girlfriend in Toronto that said, why do you spend so much time talking about that show? You know, it's just a show. She was not a keeper. Yeah, exactly. Here we are (laughs) now. She's no longer in the picture. And I'm hoping that she somehow found out that I got this gig on a podcast (laughs) talking about SNL. In your face. Directly from wasting all that time on the message boards talking about it. Because that's how you found me, right? That is. Okay. So I guess that is uh, your whole origin story. So I'll take it from there. So the year was 2016. It was a simpler time. Obama was president. SNL was clipping along at a nice middle of the road pace. And uh, yeah, there was just, there was nothing wrong with the world. And I had a little bit of time on my hands. And um, I run a marketing firm. That's what I do for my day job. And I had a number of clients that were hearing about this whole podcast thing and how you could leverage a podcast to help, you know, promote your industry or whatever. There was, there was a boom coming and they wanted to know, you know, what we could do with podcasting. So I decided that I would start a podcast so that I could basically learn how to produce a podcast, figure out the industry and just, uh, yeah, just be able to do a podcast end to end so that if clients came to us and wanted us to produce something for them, I could confidently say, yes, we can definitely get you results in the podcasting space. So that was the impetus of the show. And they say, you know, write what you know. And there's very few things that I actually know. I enjoy star Wars. I enjoy Saturday night live. I enjoy a handful of other pop culture type things, but the one 
topic that didn't seem to be done very well in the podcasting space up to that point was Saturday Night Live. There, there wasn't a whole lot of great commentary podcasts on it. There were a few and I listened to all of them and I don't want to, you know, uh, insult anyone because I, I was your fan, you know, back in the day, but I felt like it was something that I could do well. And it was a topic that I knew enough about that, uh, I probably could make a good show out of it. So that's where my thinking was at. And in order to start producing the show, I figured if I'm going to format it, like a panel show, I needed to bring in contributors. I had to have a roster of people that I could pull up and talk and we could do kind of a round table discussion of the show. I went on Reddit. And I just started trolling the, uh, live from New York subreddit, which is the, uh, de facto official SNL subreddit. And anytime someone made a comment that I thought was insightful or showed a, a deep understanding of the show or, um, sketch comedy or stagecraft or just anything that seemed like it was a cut above the, the typical rhetoric and the, the typical schlock of, oh, this show isn't funny anymore. You know, like it, there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions that aren't based on anything more than I watch the show and I have opinions. I wanted to find people that had opinions that seemed to be a little bit beyond that. So anytime I came across a comment from someone that I thought was really saying something worth hearing, I noted their screen name. I put them in a little note and I put a little tick next to their name. And over the course of a couple months, I started tallying up, uh, the people that time and time again, were saying things that was resonating with me that I thought would be good for a show. And at the end of it, I, uh, you know, I added up the scores and Orion Osiris, which I believe is still your, your Reddit screen name. Is it not Steve? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was on the top of the heap. So you were the first person I reached out to and I reached out to you. And within a matter of seconds, I got an email back saying, hell yeah, I do some radio up here in, uh, Newfoundland and, uh, I'm totally on board for this and let's make it happen. And I want to be your Andy Richter and, uh, I'm in for every show and, uh, done and done. Sign me up. That was basically <laughs> the response I got. Am I mischaracterizing our, our first little interchange there, Steve? No, that's perfect. That's, that's pretty much it. So we did a few trial runs. We connected over Skype, tried to figure out if we had any, you know, could get anything cooking with our, our back and forth and, and work out the show format. And I was still actively trying to recruit other people in. The problem is it's really tough to find a lot of people that can jump in uh, to a podcast and have something to say and are willing to do the homework and are willing to actually just show up on time and, you know, be ready to talk and be professional about it and have enough passion for it that they don't just fizzle out after a couple episodes. So I kept testing out other people and, and trying to bring in other people. And at the end of the day, uh, Steve was just the only one that really had the enthusiasm and the desire to stick with it and continued to deliver anything that I thought was worth hearing. So yeah, it turns out that the first person that I contacted was really the only one that I ever really needed to contact. You know, we've had other people up over the years, but yeah, you've always been the go-to. You should have known that. I, I should have. Took me 99 episodes to figure it out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really what it came down to. We've never met in person. We're not, you know, friends in real life. We we never cross paths. It's not like I was preparing to do the podcast and I thought, oh, you know, my boy Steve, he'd be great for this. Uh, yeah, it was just purely a chance encounter through Reddit from, you know, me trolling around trying to find people that might be a good fit. And, uh, turns out you were. Yeah. And that's, I'm that so is the glad. story. So glad there is nothing less romantic than that story, but, uh, that is the, uh, the cold hard truth. It was just, it was a numbers game and, uh, you won, you won the jackpot. Oh yeah. I mean, I won by a lot. <laughs> sure. Well, you're still here. You're a hundred episodes in, you're still here. So you must've been doing something right. <laughs> 
Uh, so that is how we met and how we decided to do the podcast. And actually to this day, we have still never met in person. I only know you over Skype. And even though I tried to get you to New York when things were starting to cook with, uh, you know, NBC and tickets and opportunities were opening up with the show. I tried to get you down there, but it, up until today, that has still never happened. No, oh. maybe someday. Yes. Uh, someday it's just, it's been crazy. You know, it's been crazy. I just can't get away. You got to make time for the things that matter. And if what matters more than an SNL podcast? Oh, it's tough. You know, I'm a busy guy. I'm a man about town. I got my own <laughs> irons in the fire. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that, uh, I think puts that matter to rest. Let's keep moving here. Okay. So we got some questions that are kind of about us and who we are and, you know, stuff that's not necessarily about SNL. And then we got the, the typical like superlative questions. Like the people are like, what's your favorite cast member? What's your favorite episode? Things like that. So I'm going to try and go back and forth and sprinkle in a little of both. Cause it's probably still insightful to know what we dig about the show and you know, what our eras are and that kind of stuff. So let's uh, take a look at a question from a longtime listener, Debbie winner, who says curious of all 100 episodes. I'm assuming they're talking about the hundred that we've covered on the podcast. Which one do you remember podcasting about the most and are most fond of? What do you think, Steve? Huh. I mean, there's a few. I've enjoyed a lot of the episodes we've covered, almost mm-hmm. all of them. But if I had to talk about a specific one that stood out to me, um, there is one that we did on a episode hosted by The Rock. Yep. The uh, season 42 finale. Yes, Dwayne Johnson, I should say, at this yep. point in his career. Uh, we had it with uh, our, our friend Kendall Ketchum. Yes, New York-based comedian and um, opening act for Daryl Hammond. Yeah, she was lovely. I loved having her on. Mm-hmm. And I just thought we had a great time, the three of us talking about that episode. Yeah, she was a lot of fun. She, uh, she brought a folksy Southern charm to the show and, uh, a female presence, which we've often been criticized for not having more of. And you're right. Just, a a lot of fun. Yeah. She's a, she's a very nice, sincere lady. Uh, tried to get her back up for the season 43 finale, but, um, things just did not work out in New York. Um, but regardless, it was fun that we did get her up for the season 42 finale. And you're absolutely right. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that episode as well. Yes. Maybe one day we'll see her. Maybe, um, for me, when I click upload and I'm done with an episode, I usually love them all. Like I, I actually do enjoy going back and listening to them and seeing how the, you know, the edit turned out and whether we actually said anything worth saying. And you know, I, I particularly enjoy the ones that we had guests on, but I think, I think my answer to this is the Dave Chappelle episode and not because we had a, a guest or, or anything like that, just because it was such an weird time to be trying to talk about anything, let alone SNL, uh, <laughs> you know, after so much fervor in the run up to the election, you know, SNL had had Trump on, so they were catching heat from one side and then, you know, they're, they're showing their political stripes more heavily than they had in the past. So they're catching heat from another side and the world itself was going crazy and nobody thought he was going to win. And then he won and then the world got even crazier. And, uh, yeah, we're just supposed to pick up that Sunday afternoon while, you know, people are protesting out front of 30 rock and people are wearing, you know, pink hats and, and saying that the world is coming to an end and, and we're supposed to have anything meaningful to say from, from our, our comfy little perch here in Canada. Um, it was a, it was a high mountain to scale, but, I enjoy listening to that show because I feel like 
I feel like we handled it fairly responsibly. And I, I feel like we did justice to that show. And I think it kind of holds up as a, a fairly measured and, and reasonable take on uh, a very interesting moment in, in SNL history. And uh, I hope that our listeners enjoy it because that, that's one that I, I feel particularly fond of uh, just being foisted into that situation and not really knowing, you know, what, what you're supposed to say and who you're offending and how you're supposed to tackle this show. And I just, I feel like it, it came together better than I would have expected. And I'm proud of that one. Oh, I'll have to give that one a re-listen. Yeah, it's worth checking out. If for no other reason than to project yourself back to that time and, and where you were at and just remember where the world was at and just how we were all feeling and just how bizarre everything was. And uh, to just to catch these two goofs that uh, really have no right to weigh in on most of these weighty subjects that the show's trying to tackle that week. Uh, it, it somehow feels like it's always been this way. Sure, yeah, no. Uh, that's true. We're, we're BSing 90% of this and making it up as we go. But that episode in particular, we were, we were making up a lot as we went as the show was, we know that they had to, uh, you know, scrap some material midweek when there was the election upset. So, uh, they were flying by the seat of their pants and I kind of feel like we were too. So it was nice to sort of have that moment in time captured. So I will always be able to listen back on that one and, uh, feel something. So there, there you go, Debbie winner. Uh, I think that covers that. There you go, Debbie. Matt Alamode asks, if you could attend any of the episodes you've covered, assuming it wasn't one you've actually attended, which would it be and why? And would it be for dress rehearsal or live? What do you think, Steve? Was there one that we covered that you thought, damn, wish I was at that one? I'll tell you, John. I, w- I would love to be at any of these episodes for sure. the live broadcast. To be that audience, I mean, just the whole hustle and bustle of it all and the sheer energy of it. I don't Mm. even think I'd be able to remember exactly what happened once I left the place, but I know that I had the most amazing time ever. So, you know, I have been to studio eight H I've visited it on tours, but I've never actually seen anything happen in the place. So just, just to go to any show at all would be amazing. Yeah. I think that's actually a fair answer because attending the worst episode of SNL is still a fantastic experience because I've, I've tried to explain this before, but I'll, I'll reiterate for some of our newer listeners. You don't go to SNL to watch a Broadway production. You're going to SNL to see how they produce SNL, how they actually get that thing on air. You're, you're watching from the peanut gallery as these sets are constructed and torn down and the cast is shuffling about and doing quick changes and makeup people are applying wigs and, you know, all of this controlled chaos. You're there to observe that. And so it, in many ways, it doesn't matter which show it is. It just matters that you're there and you get to see this crazy stunt that this team tries to pull off week over week and, and get to air. And when you watch it in those terms, it's, it's exhilarating no matter which show you go to. So you're not wrong. Just going to a show is its own reward in so many ways. If, if you're taking it on its own terms. Um, but if I'm going to offer a more conventional answer, I would say the, uh, the first John Mulaney episode, you know, that was a, a great show. I, I feel Ooh. like it's one that holds up really well. It had the original diner lobster, which I think would be a, a great thing to see performed live in eight H. Yeah. That, that to me was a, a really great outing of SNL. And, uh, if I'd known that it was going to deliver as well as it did, I would have made it out to, to New York and I just would have done the standby line for that one. And, um, with regard to the second part of your question, always dress rehearsal. Why go and watch an hour and a half of SNL when you can go and watch two plus hours of SNL? Like it's, it's simple math. 
<laughs> well, the kids are running, but they're not feeding. Well, no, they're, they're well, they're feeding to the control room. Everything's getting, you know, processed and recorded. Yeah. It the public's not seeing it. It's my point. The public's not seeing it, but you're seeing what's going to happen later. So not only do you get to see more of the show, you get to see it in its purest form. You basically get to see everything that was produced for the week as it was originally conceived and the best thing that they could put together. Uh, so you watch that, you see everybody going into a cold because other than like a non-dress rehearsal and some blocking earlier in the day, everybody's just sort of running at it and just trying to make it all work. And you're, you're seeing them sort of figure out some things on the fly too. So you watch that and you have all that insight and all that context. And then you, you go watch the live show and you're like, oh, I see what they did. They, they carved a minute out of that sketch because they knew it was sagging or they replaced this character with that character. Or they changed, you know, this up or they reframed it or they did this. And you see all the little things that they do to try and tighten up the show and, you know, uh, reemphasize a joke a different way or restructure something. And you, you get all that insight. And so now you're watching the live show and it's even cooler because you're one of a couple hundred people that will ever know you know, what the show was two and a half hours ago. So for me, for me, someone that really loves the production of it and just loves to watch that crew in action and see everyone just try and make this thing work. That shouldn't work. It's always dress rehearsal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that's what you're going for, you're only going to get more of that with mm-hmm. more sketches. And that is what the dress rehearsal has to offer. Now, if you want to see yourself on TV in the audience, then you might want to opt for live, but I could care less about that kind of thing. I just, I want as much as I'm going to get for my, my standby card. Yeah. And how well are you going to be seen if at all? <laughs> yes. I have a screen grab of myself. Uh, I've seen it. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, it ain't much to write home about, but yes, uh, that's, I, I guess that's, uh, where we'll leave that, but that's a, that's actually a good question. A fun question. Yeah. Moving right along. Listener Frog Hatton asks. Do you feel that you only get tickets to watch the show because you are a bit of a brown noser? <laughs> All right. Calling me out. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you can add much to this, but I'll, I'll address this question to frog Hatton. Um, I don't actually, you know, get a lot of tickets to the show. Uh, NBC has sent me tickets on one occasion and friend of the show, Justin Gardner was generous enough to reach out and offer me an in to be able to see, you know, the show's nuts and bolts behind the scenes. Um, because obviously his sister's on the show and he's able to go quite frequently. He was at the, uh, you know, the Eddie Murphy show a couple weeks back as well. So, you know, I've had a few opportunities that have come up, but I don't know if it's because I'm brown nosing so much as I just don't hate the show. You know, there, there's a lot of people that podcast about SNL and I listen to all their shows and I enjoy them for what they are. So again, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to yuck anyone else's yum, but for me personally, I don't see a need to find reason to get really incensed at, at the show. If it doesn't seem to perform exactly the way that I want it to week over week, uh, I always respect the try and I always respect the good moments. And I always just respect that they got it on air and, uh, they're always doing something that, uh, even if it doesn't come together, perfect is still momentous and fun to tune in for. And like sport, your team doesn't always win, but it's always fun to go see them give it their, their best. And so because I tackle the show with that perspective of, you know, I love it. I enjoy it. I have history with it and I always want it to succeed. And even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I'm going to come down on it with the, you know, the, the harshest of criticisms. I'm just going to be honest, but you know, polite, maybe that's the, the Canadian in me, or maybe I'm just, you know, uh, not quite as, uh, Uh, emotionally, you know, invested in the show being exactly what I I need it to be week over week, but whatever it is, um, 
I just take the show on those terms. And because of that, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people at the show where they say, you know, like, of course, you know, everybody listens to podcasts. So, you know, we're checking out the SL podcast out there and you guys are really the only ones that are attempting to, uh, do it justice. Like to try and really understand the show for what we know it is, you know, we, we see it from the inside. So we know what we're shooting for and we know, you know, what our intentions are. And it's hard to listen to a show that really doesn't know what they're talking about, take a dump on something and, you know, get absolutely everything wrong. And that's not to say we don't get our fair amount of stuff wrong. And I've had some people at the show, uh, uh, let me know that, <laughs> uh, usually with love as well. But, um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we're, we're flawless in that regard, but people understand that we really are coming at it from a, a place of love. And I don't, I don't really consider that brown nosing. I just consider that being fair to the show. and because the people at the show appreciate when someone is fair to the show and has a genuine love for it. Occasionally they, they reach out and they, they want to, you know, make your day. And, and, and that's kind of, I think what happened with Justin and, uh, some of the other people that I've had an opportunity to, to speak with that, that seems to be the, the general consensus is you don't hate us. So it's hard for us to hate you. <laughs> and, uh, if that's opened some doors, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll wear that with pride. So, uh, I was never a brown noser in school and, uh, I don't think I'm a brown noser now, but I totally get why, uh, that might be some people's take on, uh, how we, how we approach the show. <laughs> We're just Canadian. That's just how we are. That, that really is yeah. probably what it boils down to. We're just really positive and we just genuinely like things. How about that? There you go. And frog Hatton has a follow-up. They ask, which cast member do you identify with the most? Current cast members or cast members of any era? You interpret that question however you want. I, I'm not assuming that it has to be a current cast member. It just says which cast member. I think it would still be a current one anyway. I've uh, I've found myself identifying with uh, Kyle Mooney <laughs> okay. a lot. And you could probably pick up on that from the way I talk about him on this podcast. But yeah, I'm just so into what he does. and the more content he releases, the more I'm amazed that this is allowed to be on TV because <laughs> it made me realize there's, you know, there's more people out there that are open to this kind of humor. And I just love it because he's not worried about making it fit into some kind of archaic mold. Sure. When he finds something that's funny, he <laughs> goes for it and it doesn't necessarily take a expected path. And that makes it all the more brilliant. Yeah, I just I just love his chaotic style. It reminds me of my own chaotic style of living my life. <laughs> okay. So I definitely identify with Kyle for that reason. All right. Um I had to give this some thought because no one immediately came to mind, but after ruminating on it a little bit, I, I think I came up with something that makes sense for me. I think I identify the most with Dan Aykroyd. And not in any way, because I feel like I have performance chops like he does. Like that guy can do a run of dialogue, like nobody's business and he's fearless in many ways. And, um, he was probably the most competent person in the original cast in, in a lot of ways. And he carried a lot of material and I would never presume that I have any business, you know, <laughs> uh, associating myself with his gifts in that regard. I, I tried my hand at comedy once and I learned very early on that, uh, I'm much better at writing than I am at performing. I, I don't have that particular skill set, So, uh, I do not put myself in his league, but I know Dan Aykroyd well enough from being a, a fan of his, my whole life and 
seeking out interviews and stuff outside of his performance that I know that that guy's just a big old weirdo. And I know that he sees the world in a very unique way. And he often says things in a convoluted and complicated way that is misunderstood. And it's often deadpan humor and it just goes right over people's heads. And, uh, he, he just, he's a, he's an odd duck and a little challenging to keep up with in some ways. Like he's got a certain bent in how he sees the world and, and how he communicates. And, uh, I see him in interviews or, or trying to connect, uh, with people or, or communicate an idea. And it's funny to see how it doesn't always make sense. And I'm surprised how often it makes sense to me. Like, I feel like I kind of get him and where he's coming from, even when it doesn't seem like anyone else does. So in a weird way, I just kind of feel like I get Dan Aykroyd. So I identify with him in, in that respect. Uh, that's, I guess where I'll land on that question. Um, we better keep rolling along here cause we got a lot of stuff to get through here. Yes. What have you done? Yeah. Well, a uh, hundredth episode. We gotta, gotta go big or go home. All right. Listener Lulworth thoughts on the standby line people and podcast. Okay. Lulworth. I'm assuming you are a dummy account for either Jill or Amanda. Um, I, uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts. I love all of those lovable miscreants that are regulars in the standby line. These are bizarre people that are, are willing to stay out in all kinds of weather to go attend SNL week over week. And it never seems to get old to them. And, uh, I love them for their passion and, uh, I love them for the support and the help they, they've given me, you know, to be able to be able to flourish in, in the line in extreme conditions. Um, I think all the line regulars are, fun characters and they all bring something interesting to the table. And you could, you, you could do a documentary on the standby line and, uh, some of the regulars and just kind of the phenomenon that, that that is week over week. So nothing bad to say about it. Uh, I've met a lot of nice people in the line and, uh, the girls that do the podcast, uh, Amanda and Jill, I think they're doing the Lord's work. They educate people on, on how to be able to do the line safely and not freeze to death and, uh, just kind of know the ins and the outs and they're there week over week and they're, you know, they're, they're doing outreach and, and helping people to get up to speed and uh, just, you know, get them the lay of the land. So you need, uh, that kind of stuff to, to make the line successful for the people that just come in and they have one shot at the show and you don't want to fumble it. So to have the line regulars, to be able to help guide people, that's, that's a great thing. So, uh, nothing but high praise for, um, yeah. All of you lovable weirdos in New York. I uh, hope I see you in the spring. I'll be looking for them girls. Yeah. For my first time. Absolutely. Let them know who you are. I, I think they may have tuned in once or twice. All right. Let's keep rolling along here. <laughs> Twitter follower Toe in a Koozie asked, do you think pineapple belongs on pizza? Uh, let's not dwell on this, but uh, what's your hot take, Steve? It's not for me. Go ahead if you like it, but it just feels wrong. It's not the right texture for a pizza. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I've always been a savory topping guy, you know, maybe a little bit of sweetness in your sauce, but that's, that's really all the sweetness you need for a good pizza. Um, my hot take, I get it. Some people are purists, you know, there is a traditional type of pizza, you know, particularly in places like New York and Chicago where you just, you don't mess with it, right? There's a, there's a right way to do a pizza, the, the traditional styles. So for those kind of pizzas, if, if I'm in those places, I I'm going to get the traditional pizza. I want the experience the way that it was intended by, you know, the, the pizza gods of old, but Hey, for my money, if, if I'm just getting a pizza, I like pineapple. I like having something on there that is sweet and is a nice counterbalance to the salty and, uh, you know, the, 
you know, the bitter, the sour, the pickled or everything else that's going on on a pizza. I like a lot of conflicting flavors. So I'm not a purist that way. I think, uh, pineapple has its place. So, uh, I am thumbs up on pineapple. Yeah. I used to be one of those douchebags and be like, oh my God, you should die and put pineapple on your pizza. It's not a big deal. I mean, have it if you'd like it. All right. Fair enough. Moving right along. Uh, long time listener, Ruby, the Rube brutalish question. Does having ties or knowing some people involved with the show make it hard to be as objective when reviewing new episodes? So the, the basic idea of you get too close to something and you can't really criticize it because you know, you're kind of criticizing real people and, and not just, you know, this thing afar off. Any thoughts on that, Steve? Cause you're aware that there's people at the show that, that tune in and uh, I've regaled you off air with a few little anecdotes. So you know that that's a factor that has to be in the back of your mind a little bit. Do you think it, uh, ever plays a, a part in, in how you approach your commentary? No, I don't really think about that stuff because I just stay in the moment and in the moment, all it is, is just me in my house <laughs> talking to this, this fella I've never met over the <laughs> internet. Like, it just feels like, it feels like no one's listening to this. <laughs> okay. That's true. When we're recording, it does feel, yeah, you, you feel pretty disconnected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no, there's no studio audience to appease in the moment. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to be backstage be like, Ooh, I got butterflies. Got to go out there in yeah. front of the crowd. So it's kind of weird. It's like in hindsight, you're like, Oh, cool. That, that person listened to this or this person listened to it. But I've never been like nervous about, recording sure thinking about who might be listening yep but uh being objective i mean i don't I, i'm I'm still not afraid of of hurting anyone's feelings or, or saying anything that any person might not like if that's how i feel that's what i'm gonna say fair enough ruby i think my answer is in a way i think it makes me a little more objective actually because it's very easy to watch snl like maybe a scripted or any kind of pre-taped show, you know, you, you've got, um, everything from Monty Python to Chappelle's show that has been recorded and edited down and turned into the most punchy comedy it, it can possibly be. And a lot of people watch SNL and they forget that SNL is not just a typical comedy show in, in that respect. It's not something where people have time to fine tune and punch things up and get things perfect before they lay them down. And you don't have a lot of time to milk the scenes, you know, for maximum impact. You've just got a bunch of people that have to rely on their raw talent and wits in the moment to elevate material and make it as great as it possibly can be without any of the advantages that a lot of typical comedies receive. So I feel like there's a lot of people that tune into SNL casually or watch the clips on YouTube or whatever. And because they don't have the context of really what it is as a creature, as a sport, as an institution, as, and as a, a gaggle of ridiculously talented people doing amazing work under the gun week over week, because people don't have that objectivity, they come down on it really hard and they say, well, I don't, I don't get it. Like why, you know, why wasn't that sketch super amazing? And yeah. they, they, they forget that that's, that can't be what SNL shooting for. It's a variety show. Every sketch is different, appeals to different people. There's no, it's not a one size fits all situation like a, a sitcom might be. So there's, there's so much about SNL that is unique that I feel like the closer you are to the show, the more objective you can be about what you're actually seeing on air. And as much as I never want to hurt anyone's feeling, because everybody that I've ever spoken with at the show knows in no uncertain terms that I 
unequivocally love what they do and what they're trying to pull off. And I totally get that you can't make every play They're The greatest superstar in the world does not make every play. So knowing them, I think it makes me more objective and understanding the show now, as well as I do having been able to kind of go on this ride the last few years and, and really kind of get to see it for, for what it truly is. No, I, I think it gives me a better voice and a, a better opportunity to do justice to the show in a way that some other shows that don't try to get close to the show don't have an opportunity to experience. So, uh, I, I think y'all can just suck it. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm going to leave that one. <laughs> now, Ruby also asks, what shows do you and Steve like aside from SNL? Do we actually watch anything other than SNL, Steve? I thought SNL was what television was. Yeah. I, I didn't actually know there was anything else on TV. I thought it was just white static. <laughs> until 11:30 on saturday night yeah exactly lately uh making my way through the handmaid's tale okay i find that one slow because it's not a bingeable show for me like i watch an episode i'm like well that was just hopeless yeah it's heavy yeah so it's been months and months and i'm still sure. like a few episodes into season two <laughs> that's how that's going right right and i recently watched uh the watchman on hbo which was mm-hmm awesome show if you've ever read the graphic novel from 86 you know out of all the other attempted sequels or expansions to that original source material this is pretty much the only thing worth consuming Mm -hmm. in my opinion and it's it's very worth it you're in good company um i was chatting with justin gardner when i met up with him in new york and uh he's raving about that as well and he's someone that knows the source material and you know is pretty up on his watchman and he's also someone that uh kind of knows the biz a little bit and and has some very strong opinions about what he considers good and bad entertainment and uh i kind of i kind of take him as an authority on those kind of things and he's saying that yeah they they really nailed the first season so apparently yeah high marks for watchman what else you got that is mostly the new stuff i mean i'm i'm currently doing a rewatch of 30 rock cuz the girlfriend oh. Sure. Really catch that so i'm like oh you gotta watch that and uh other favorite shows of all time would be stuff like lost six feet under uh sopranos game of thrones for a while that would be the main ones very good um we've all seen tons of tv so this isn't an exhaustive list like you know i watch you know most of the the typical stuff and the the it sitcoms you know that, that come and go and uh the various sketch comedy shows that come and go and the prestige TV fair that comes and goes. But, um, if I was just going to pick a handful of highlights, uh, I'm really enjoying the Mandalorian right now. And, uh, I talk about that on another podcast, star Wars TV talk. People can check that out if they're so inclined, but I think that John Favreau and, and, uh, Filoni, the, the guys running the show over there are doing a really good job of, of keeping that show fun, taking it in some interesting directions. So yeah, I, I can give two enthusiastic thumbs up to anyone that wants to binge that on a rainy afternoon. That's, that's good watching. Um, 30 rock was my jam. Uh, I really thought that show was smart and, uh, I've always loved Tina Fey, so I can always wholeheartedly recommend that really enjoyed breaking bad, you know, and, and that's, <laughs> that's on most people's top 10 list. I uh, don't really have to get into that. It's just a really great show. Very tense. Um, Mad Men thought Mad Men was great. And, oh, well, so many others. I mean, if we just want to keep going back in time, <laughs> we could, we could talk about SCTV. We could talk about, uh, uh, you know, all the formative sitcoms of my youth, but, uh, yeah, let's just leave it at that prestige TV. I really thought Mad Men was great. I thought Breaking Bad was great. I mentioned Breaking Bad. I can't believe it. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we're typical nerdy white guys. We, we check in on the, the same kind of stuff that everyone else is watching. <laughs> How about this? Ike Moore asks favorite host in SNL history. Whoa. Yeah. You only got what a thousand episodes to choose from. So, uh, off the top of your head, what do you got? I think Steve Martin. Sure. My favorite host. Just so much has accumulated over the years of classic moments from him. And a lot of the reruns that I watched on Canadian television growing up involved his episodes. So as a host, he holds a special place in my heart. Okay. Um, earlier today, word came down that Buck Henry, who was a sort of go-to host during the first five years. If people have watched the first five years, they understand that they weren't drawing from as big a pool of people. So a lot of people got to come on a lot. Like Candace Bergen came on a lot. Buck Henry came on a lot. Uh, obviously Steve Martin came on a lot. So you would host like sometimes multiple times during the same season. They didn't have kind of hard and fast rules about how often they would bring people back. Yeah. So Buck Henry, he turned in upwards of a dozen episodes, you know, during those first five years. And he's not a larger than life character like Steve Martin that I think would really stand out uh, in most people's minds. But considering that he passed away today and, and it just got me thinking about some of his episodes and some of the stuff that I like from, from that era and the fact that he turned in so many shows and the show was always so confident to go back to him and lean on him to just, you know, be someone that was always game and could deliver. I always respect the hosts that just, you know, leave it all in eight H they're just, you know what? I'm going to come, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do whatever you throw at me and we're just going to have the best time we can and put on the best show that we possibly can. And I was just felt like he was always very game and, uh, you know, a, a funny guy in his own right. And not even just, you know, in the comedy sphere, like as just an industry pro and, you know, a guy who wrote some iconic movies and, you know, d- did so much else in his career. He's just, he's a guy worth knowing more about. So I don't know if I would consider him my favorite host, but he's just the guy that's on my mind today. And I think people would do well to go and look at a career retrospective and kind of see what he was all about. Cause, uh, sometimes it's the quiet ones that have the really stunning careers. So that's, that's my answer. That's a good one. All right. Listener Aliasa IE, I guess asks you guys should continue doing the guessing game for upcoming hosts. Oh, that's always, no, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> no. Um, so I guess a little inside baseball, we're hundred episodes in, I guess we could put all our cards on the table. Um, I really only added that stuff to the show notes when I would catch wind of something that I thought was credible because of maybe where it was coming from. And I just wanted kind of a non-obvious way of maybe working that into the show. So, uh, that, that was, that was more of an indulgence for me when we would do that. And there's a reason why we don't usually do it because you're going to be wrong, uh, 99 times out of a hundred and, uh, nobody really knows who's going to be on SNL unless, you know, word starts to leak out from, uh, from the 17th floor. So, um, I don't think that'll ever be uh, an ongoing feature of the show. Uh, if it ever is now, you know, now, you know, the gag, if, uh, if we make predictions, um, yeah, maybe, maybe we're just sprinkling a little bit of truth in there with all the BS just to maybe have a little bit of cred coming out the other side, but who knows? Uh, that, that's all I got on that. You got any thoughts, Steve? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it. It's not just a <laughs> slow news day. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Neil Weinstein asks, what is your best cast assembly? So what he's really driving at is like your favorite era, like when they had the right size of cast, the right kind of mix of different types of players. Yeah. When was the show really humming because of the ensemble? Uh, the late eighties cast uh, with uh, John Lovitz, Dana Carvey, 
you know, Mike Myers, all those guys. That was just a lot of great content coming sure. out in that era. You know, some runner-ups would be that one Dick Eppersall year where he brought in all the big wigs. The ringers, yeah, the, yeah. the crystals, yeah. Not exactly the up-and-comer type <laughs> right. of uh, vibe that casts usually have, but there's so much talent there. There's so much to be a fan of, mm-hmm. of what was made up of that cast. You know, as I was growing up, the people that were actually on while I was watching the reruns, that was probably like Jimmy Fallon or or maybe Will Ferrell. That, those guys were doing it while I was watching these reruns mm-hmm. of the Dana Carvey and, and Phil Hartman era. Sure. So that feels like my 90s cast. Okay. Yeah, the the first cast that we usually get exposed to, we tend to, uh, yeah, we tend to kind of make our own in a way. So yeah, I, I have a fondness for the the early '90s cast uh, myself because that's when I started watching. If I'm going to pick an era or a particular cast that I felt was just really knocking it out of the park, I'm going to say late 2000s. I think that era where the Lonely Island came up, uh, Hater came up, Seth Meyers was uh, leading the writing and was on Update. Kristen Wiig was dominating, you know, lover or hater, you got to respect that <laughs> she owned that show for a long time. She was successful on the show. Yeah. yeah. And you get the weirdos, you had Forte and you had Armisen and you had just, you had a murderer's row on screen and behind the screen. Like that was, you know, where you had Mulaney and you had the whole Lonely Island crew basically in, inventing, you know, that, that whole aspect of, of SNL. I think the show was just really on fire. Uh, somewhere around 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in there. So yeah, I, I, I think I would look at that as uh, maybe the pinnacle of when the show's really just gotten all the pieces lined up correctly. Yeah, no, okay. for sure. All right, Neil, I know that you were kind of hoping that we dig deeper and sort of like, you know, build our fantasy roster, but uh, at a certain point, we're going to need to go to bed. So we'll have to leave it at that. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Taylor Hampton asks, is there anyone you have in mind who has never hosted the show, but who you would like to see host at some point? You know, I was watching the Irishman and <laughs> there was a couple of, uh, couple of performances in that that were pretty surprising. I really enjoyed Jim Norton mm. for the small cameo he had as, uh, as Don Rickles. Oh, I can see that. That's a, that's a good fit of a more, yeah. Lithe, youthful Don Rickles. I can see that. Yeah. I haven't watched the Irishman yet, but that, that fits. I could, I could see that casting. Okay. Continue. Sorry. <laughs> he did that really well. And you know, he just had, he, he has a new special on Netflix. That's really good. Mm. He's probably not in anyone's radar to host and he's definitely not, you know, family friendly. Sure. He's pretty perverse and it's, yeah. it's pretty touchy for this day and age, but <laughs> sure. you know, he was legitimized for me when. Uh, when I saw him cast in a production of uh, a streetcar named Desire, hmm. so this guy, you know, he he is able to go out there and do more than just raunchy comedy. Okay, and I always thought that maybe in a, a alternate universe where he was a bigger name, he would make a great host. I guess I'm itching to see more comedians hosting after we've gotten like John Mulaney, for example. Those have been really fun shows. Very good. My only thought, when's Sudeikis going to host? I, I feel like you can make a real fun show. He could probably have some friends come back and uh, revisit some some stuff from an era of SNL that I thought was really tops. So uh, yeah, I'd like to see him show up at some point. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, Biden is, <laughs> if he's planning to come back, you know, for Biden, he's going to be around. 
Yeah, they're going to want them at arm's reach. And sometimes that's what they do, right? Like when you've got a reoccurring character that is generating some heat and kind of keeping you in the news as being associated with the show, kind of like what Alec did. Alec hosted the first year he was doing Trump, right? Like it just, it seemed obvious that at at a certain point, we're going to want to see Alec out of the makeup and doing something else. Right. So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe it'll warm him up to the idea. You know, if he comes out and starts hanging out with the, the new kids and, um, feels like he gets his sea legs back, maybe he'll be like, yeah, you know what? I I could, I could do a hosting gig and the show would obviously embrace that. I can't see any reason why if he was game, they wouldn't want to. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Uh, moving right along. Listener John asks, if you could magically take the place of one of the players in a sketch of your choosing, which player in sketch would you pick? This assumes that you get to deliver all the killer lines if you want to. Oh, I would have loved to have been Bill Hader in that wheelchair. <laughs> the one where um, they're like trying to get pregnant at game night. Yeah. 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 And he's this old fella. Oh, I wish I could remember more details, uh, but he just got to do so much damage wheeling that thing around sure uh knocking over tables and chairs and people and i mean you must feel so powerful you know when nbc is <laughs> devoting airtime to you and you are co- in complete control of causing this chaos you know it, it must be a powerful feeling in that moment <laughs> sure so yeah that just seems so fun the way they were all cracking up and yeah, yeah. and breaking like that just seemed like a genuinely fun moment to be on set. Sure. He got to be the agent of chaos and just destroy that sketch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be fun. And, uh, the nice thing is you don't have to worry too much about your performance. It's just all in the, the rascal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually a really good pick. I, I like that. Uh, I wish, I wish I had something, but I only have really creepy answers, which like involve me with some of the female cast that I've adored over the years, which I don't know. I'm 39 years old. I just feel like that's just not something I need to commit to tape. Um, so I wish that was JLo's hoop. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not going to go down the creepy path. And otherwise, I don't know. You know what? I think at the end of the day, uh, I enjoy what the performers bring to those performances. And, and anytime I think about like stepping into a role and trying to do it myself, I'm like, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. Like the, the, the memorable things, the things that you would want to do are the things that the cast somehow pulled off because they had some innate ability to understand a character or deliver a line or just, there's something about their timing and their chops that shone through. And I'm like, why would I want to appropriate that? So I, I only have creepy answers and that's just not a path I need to go down. Cause yeah, that, that gets weird quick. <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that. Wow. One of our oldest and most generous patrons, Sam Bowers has chimed in to ask, when the day comes where Lauren is no longer able to run the show, who do you think should take his place as executive producer? I think Steve Higgins would be a good option. He's been a producer on the show a while, and he really is well-tuned in, in how the show works and all the arms and channels of it. I got that sense um, from the documentary that uh, James Franco made. Mm-hmm creatively being the best one for the role. I don't know. I don't have the knowledge to speak to that level, but for someone who can carry out the administrative aspect of that and the operational sense of it, you know, he's got that. Yeah, no, he, he definitely has been Lauren's right-hand man in, in so many ways. Right. And he's, uh, he, he's kind of the enforcer <laughs> of the show in, in a few ways too. Uh, okay. So there's a few things 
to establish here. First off, is network television going to outlive Lauren? I'm not hundred percent confident that it is though. If that is the case, then the second question is, is NBC going to keep it going after he's gone? Uh, Lauren has suggested sort of cheekily that maybe he'd like the show to end when he ends, but if network television is still a thing and NBC is still a thing and SNL continues to be the comedy institution that it is today, then obviously nobody, nobody kills the the golden goose. So if all those things happen to be true, then it's going to be Seth Meyers and it was decided in 2013. And that's all I have to say about that. Well then Seth Meyers is such an on-camera guy though. He is, but I think what a lot of people forget when they're trying to sort out who would be Lauren's successor is when you're running a show like that, you are the tastemaker and internally you, you fill a really important role in steering the ship and, and being a, a stabilizing factor and quality control. But Lauren Michaels does a lot more outside of the show than he does inside the show. As far as being able to assuage the fears of network executives and be a personable enough figure that he can you know, charm people into being advocates and allies of the show and bringing in talent and just picking up the phone and, and having the, the cred and the authority to be able to bend people to his will. There's a, there's a whole lot that goes into it beyond just being like, you know, who knows the show and who knows how to write comedy? Like there's, there's a lot more to it than that. And what Seth Meyers would bring to the table would be a, a quiet authoritative nature and an ability to just get crap done and just a, a stick to and uh, yeah, a, a lot of authority and know-how and confidence and, uh, he's well positioned to take that mantle. And I don't know if NBC would necessarily want to elevate someone else who's maybe in the back half of their career when they could elevate someone who's really in their prime and has the energy to be the figurehead of a show. Cause you need someone who's half showman, half executive producer and, and just half ball breaker. And, and I think that's kind of where Seth Meyers ticks all the boxes. So he could do it. Yeah, I think you could do it. And I think you would do it well. Yeah, for sure. All right, Sam Bowers. I hope that uh, we did justice to your question. Let's keep rolling here. Darren Patterson of the SNL Nerds podcast asks, favorite and least favorite cast members of all time? Jeez. Huh. Tough cast members. Probably. That's so tough. Mm -hmm. I would have to say it is. uh, It's funny because they're all Williams. Uh, Bill Hader, Bill Murray, Will Ferrell. Fair enough. I think for their respective eras, they are flagship cast members. Mm-hmm. They were definitely, you know, the anchors, you could say, and had a lot of versatility and were just so well utilized and were exactly the type of per- performers that SNL was looking for. Sure. They were just so well cut out for that show. Uh, least favorite cast member, <clears throat> least favorite. I'm going to say Harry Shearer. Okay. I mean, he was decent on the show, but I don't know you just hear too much about his attitude and sure. how often he would butt heads with the producers, uh, as a cast member was given an opportunity, you know, he was not willing to just go along with, sure. with how it went. He felt his way would be better and just always held on to that attitude. So. As a cast member, he was never able to be as successful as he could be for that reason. So, yeah, for me, it's not about talent. It's not about, you know, being the mo- the funniest cast member. It's it's being there as the team player you're supposed yep. to be. 
you have the can do attitude that kind of raises all ships or are you going to drag people down? Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's fair. And you know what? I, I wish I'd thought of that. Cause that's a much better answer. Cause I, I really struggle with this. Cause like I, it's a weird idea to me that you would ever like hate someone purely for them being on a show. <laughs> you know, like it, it's hard for me to muster that kind of emotion that I would actually like spend any amount of time thinking, Oh, I just really don't like them. Uh, it's just, it's just not how I tackled the show. Um, for my favorites, this list is always changing because I really have like a top 50 SNL favorites list. And at any given time, my top three might, you know, might, uh, evolve or, uh, sort of float around within that list. So on any given day, it might be Tina Fey, Bill Murray, and Bill Hader. But on another day, it might be Bobby Moynihan and Vanessa Bayer. On another day, it might be Cecily Strong. Um, I'm thinking mostly of, you know, more current cast members of the old guys. I always thought Dan Aykroyd really held his own on that show and was really the unsung hero of the first five years. And I think even during the dark ages, there were a lot of people that were just really working hard. Always respect the try of Joe Piscopo. Just happy to, to be Eddie's wingman and, and uh, always be overshadowed. But yeah, he just, he just seemed to really enjoy his time there. And, uh, that, that always was fun to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know so many, but my top I'm going to say is Tina Fey. I just don't think you can really top what she's parlayed her time at SNL into. And, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. And for non-favorites, I really have trouble hating anyone on the show. I, I think your answer was great. Anyone that, you know, brought drama behind the scenes that dragged down the show that they actually had to maybe part ways with because they weren't willing to be a team player and weren't willing to serve the sketches and, and serve the players and, and yeah, just do what had to be done to make the show better. Uh, those would be my least favorites and there's a handful, but uh, I don't know. I don't feel any need to name names. I like the show and the vast majority of people that have come through those doors. I, I think are top notch. Yeah. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I'm not going to be that guy. Let's see what, uh, Becky Davis has to say here. Biggest brushes with SNL fame. What do you got? My biggest brush with SNL fame. Jesus, mm-hmm. <sighs> not very close. I did an interview on my radio show here in St. John's, Newfoundland with uh, Andy Jones, who was a writer for Kids in the Hall, okay. which is, of course, a Lauren Michaels produced show mm-hmm. and uh, Mark McKinney, a kid of that said hall, um, went on to be an SNL cast member. Mm-hmm. So that would be my closest brush, I would say. <laughs> okay. So you're like four levels removed. <laughs> yeah. All right. So fairly tangential connections there. Um, well, depending on how you define brush, I guess my answer could be Lauren Michaels. Cause I mean, I, I at least was within spitting distance of the guy and spent more than a reasonable amount of time watching, you know, who he was chatting with and the goings on and stuff, but I, I never actually like went up and talked to him. So if brushing is more like just brushing shoulders, sort of like being at the same party or whatever, then it doesn't get any bigger than Lauren Michaels. But if brushing means more along the lines of like, you know, people that you've had any kind of meaningful interaction with, then obviously Heidi Gardner would be near the top of that list because. Okay. So you're oh. saying you saw Lauren Michaels walking around on set. No, 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 no. At, at um, one of the after parties. <laughs> At the, he, he's at a table with Higgins and they're having a conversation. And at one point he was having a, a fairly lengthy conversation with, um, Cecily strong. So, I mean, like I've, 
I've been in their presence, but, uh, that's, that's not really the same as serious interaction. So, but it's a brush. It's a brush. Yeah. So if, if that's our, our qualifier, then, then yeah, Lauren Michaels, otherwise, um, yeah, like, uh, being able to, uh, go backstage as Heidi's guest because, uh, her brother, Justin was, uh, ridiculously generous in, in opening that door. Uh, you know, that's, that's, I think by any reasonable measure qualifies as a brush, at least a comb. Yeah. At least a comb at least. So that's probably the next biggest, but then, you know, also just in, in mingling and making small talk, um, I guess the next highest tenured cast member would be Keenan. So I had a, a nice little opportunity to congratulate him on, uh, what he's got cooking with all that and his sitcom and stuff like that. So, you know, those would probably be the tops, but most of the, the folks are around there. I've made small talk with, or at least been around, you know, and been able to, you know, observe them and hopefully not look too creepy in the process. <laughs> so yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's my answer. Not bad. Yeah. It's been a crazy year. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. Sir, uh, and let me just say like, this was certainly not anything that felt earned or deserved or that I would have ever expected. Like this, this was in many ways, uh, the thrill of a lifetime to be able to peek in on that world and, and be able to, you know, just be a part of, of that whole thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, th- that's, uh, I guess that's the, the best answer I can offer Becky Carissa patron and longtime supporter of the show. Hey girl. <laughs> favorite, <laughs> <laughs> favorite movies featuring or written by former or current SNL cast members. Jeez. Huh? I wish they didn't say cast members because Adam McKay mm. has been putting out some great movies, uh, as of late. Yeah. Vice, the big shorts, and there's more to come. I believe he's doing a, a Jeffrey Epstein documentary. I mean, he's kind of had a a shift in in career with these more serious films, but they are great. And mm. I don't know something about drawing from that comedic background makes for very interesting, uh, more serious films. And that's what it is. It sharpens his dialogue, right? Like the dialogue can be clever and witty and playful and carry all that stuff where you've got these serious topics, but he's making it more entertaining because he just has a voice. Yeah. So you're absolutely, you're absolutely right that he makes some stunning movies. Uh, yeah, he's doing great stuff. I don't think it quite qualifies though. So let's, uh, let's try and do justice to Chris's question. Anyone that actually has been a player on the show that has, uh, been featured heavily or maybe produced uh, a movie that you thought was a standout. Um, you know, Wayne's world. It's definitely sure. um, an old favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Love that that movie to death. Uh, Mike Myers, a lot of the stuff that he's pinned has been, you know, big stables. The Austin Powers series sure. is just brilliant. You know, we don't talk about the love guru as much. <laughs> but yeah, he's got some great movies. Brigsby Bear is another mm. great movie. There you go. Now- from Kyle Mooney. I love Wayne's world. So that's, you know, that's a great choice, but that's a, that's a pretty easy one to find. Yeah. Rigsby bear. That's an answer I can respect. And it's one that I wish I'd come up with. Cause I, I was blown over with, uh, what Kyle was able to do with that. So much. My God, that yeah. movie is, you're making me want to watch it again. Making <laughs> me talk about it. It's, it's just so brilliantly realized and you just feel so much for Kyle's character. And he, and he, he did such a good job capturing someone that's, that would be just slightly off from, mm-hmm. from the experience they were, they were through. I don't even want to say that much about the movie. Yeah. Just go see Brigsby bear. Cause it's so darn good. 
Very good. No, that's a very respectable answer. However, there is only one correct answer to this question. What is it? It's Ghostbusters. It has to be Ghostbusters. Okay. I guess, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was Dan Aykroyd and, uh, um, it was Dan Aykroyd. He, he conceived it and the original Ramis. treatment. And then, yeah, Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman came in and they worked with him to retool it into something that wasn't so outlandish and weird, <laughs> you right. know, like something that could actually be filmed. So yeah, but you, you got to lay it at the feet of Dan Aykroyd. Like that was his baby for a long time that he was developing. It was going to be a vehicle for, uh, him and Belushi, uh, originally and Eddie Murphy originally. So even though it didn't end up being maybe what his original vision was, that movie wouldn't exist without the creative genius of Dan Aykroyd. And for my money, it is the greatest comedy of all time. And it scares me that they keep trying to recapture its glory with these new movies. And as much as, uh, I hope Paul Rudd is the, the right guy to helm a, a proper, um, sequel. Uh, yeah, some things just, you shouldn't touch. And, uh, th- that is the, the single most formative movie of my childhood. And I think it stands up as one of the greatest comedies ever made. So that's my answer, Carissa. That's a good answer. But Brigsby Bear, Brigsby you, Bear. Should, you should see that. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Final question. Listener T Jones asks, are you continuing the cast for the remainder of the season? So, uh, as our regular listeners are no doubt well aware, I've explained previously on our, our preseason cast and throughout the season that, uh, we had a funding goal. We were trying to get to 100 patrons to, give us enough money to make the show viable and, uh, make it something that, um, hopefully I could take to the next level with that amount of revenue. And so we've been slowly plugging away throughout the first half of the season. And I gave us until the Eddie Murphy episode, basically to hit our hundred patron goal. And unfortunately we only got 75% of the way there, which is awesome. There's not a lot of podcasts that ever get to that level. And I, so appreciate every person that's ever been willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually, you know, say we enjoy what you're doing enough that we want to help out. I think that that's some of the, the nicest, uh, you know, sentiments or, or things that, that people have been able to offer me. And, um, uh, even though this cast has been the thrill of a lifetime in, in so many ways, and it's paid dividends in so many ways, uh, you know, the people that I've been able to meet and interact with and, uh, the friends of the show that have like, like Justin Gardner, I will never stop singing his praises who were willing to open doors and, um, yeah, let me into that world. Um, you know, there's been so much good stuff that's come out of this that, uh, I certainly can't say that, um, you know, uh, I've taken a loss on the cast, but the reality is without more revenue, I can't take it to where I want it to go in order for this cast to grow. And in order for us to get to the point where it genuinely is sustainable, we have to go to the next level. We got to get on YouTube. We need to get very serious and aggressive with marketing and invest money into that, uh, you know, to get exposure through, uh, social media platforms that you can't just get organically with your own, you know, grassroots efforts. Uh, there's a lot that you can't do with no funding and, uh, what we're bringing in right now, it's enough to pay Steve and, uh, you know, <laughs> cover equipment costs and ongoing, um, you know, services and things like that, that we have to pay for to keep the cast up and running, but it's not enough to take us to the next level. And unfortunately that's what we would need to do for this to make sense for me. Because at this point in my life, you know, I have opportunities that I'm missing out on because I'm investing 20 some odd hours in this podcast a week. 
And uh, those opportunities don't just involve, you know, the financial hit of not doing billable work during that time, but it's also time away from my growing family. You know, I've got a little boy now he's one and he's adorable and he's, his little mind is springing to life and he's doing glorious things every day. And I have to think about whether in the long run, it makes more sense for me to be uh, sitting in my garage, editing a podcast, or do I want to be, you know, (laughs) making memories. So if this podcast could be what I would love it to be and, you know, be a sustainable job that, uh, it doesn't require me making sacrifices and my family making sacrifices, then I could wholeheartedly keep it going. But where we're at right now, the funding isn't there. So I'm going to be hanging up my microphone and, uh, I'm not going to be producing the cast anymore. So that's, uh, kind of where we're at with that. But I want to tell people right out of the gate. Don't unsubscribe. That's the first thing, because what we've built here is no small feat. You know, this is the largest SNL podcast by orders of magnitude, and we have a sizable audience and we have uh, a a modest amount of revenue and the potential for it to grow is there if there's someone who genuinely can invest the time. So what I'm going to be doing between now and the end of 2020 is I'm going to be uh, looking to bring on a producer, someone who can take over the show and can make it into something that can go further down the road than I can take it myself right now. So don't unsubscribe because, uh, what we'll probably end up doing is using the month in review as an opportunity to bring people in and audition fresh voices and see if we can find a good fit that gels with the audience and see if, if there's a way forward for the show. And if there is, then great, we're going to keep it going in some capacity. It just won't be me as producer. Um, I would hope that if we are able to cross that bridge and, and get someone else in that has uh, a passion for it and uh, has the opportunity to put in the legwork necessary to get it to the next level that Steve and myself and all the other contributors that we've had along the way, that there'd be an open door for us to be able to come in and participate, you know, as contributors. Uh, but there has to be someone that can helm this and uh, yeah, just put in the sweat equity to get it where it needs to go if it's going to get any bigger. So I have to find that person. And if I can, then, uh, you know, hopefully there's a bright future for the cast. If I can't, then obviously, you know, I'll, I'll keep everyone in the loop through the feed. Uh, you know, if there's any finality to it, but for now I would encourage our listeners don't unsubscribe because, uh, the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of whether we can uh, raise this cast from the ashes, like a Phoenix or not, uh, is obviously going to come through the feed and through our Twitter and, and, uh, our Instagram and stuff like that. So, uh, by all means, please, uh, keep in the loop. Um, Obviously that's kind of heavy news and, uh, I'm not really <laughs> sure how to spin that in a, in a positive light other than to say, I don't know what the future of the cast is, uh, but I'm going to do whatever I can to see if I can transition it into someone, uh, that has capable hands that can hopefully, um, you know, shepherd it and guide it and, uh, yeah, just be a good producer that can hopefully, uh, continue to turn out good content that, uh, our listeners can enjoy. Well. I, uh, now just a uh, full disclosure here, this isn't something that I had actually discussed with Steve. So I think I may have, uh, dropped a bit of a bomb on our podcast here. Steve, <laughs> uh, uh, obviously you got a stiff upper lip, but you got any thoughts on that? Uh, any, uh, you feel like cussing me out here? <laughs> no, it's just, you know, uh, I, I knew about the goals we were trying to hit and mm-hmm. how close we were to getting. So, you know, I wasn't sure if you were actually going to go for it. And hang up your your microphone, as you said. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't a gimmick. Like there was a lot of people that are like, oh, well, this is just, you know, the, the most, uh, vulgar of marketing tactics to hold your cast hostage and how dare you. And like, you know, we've gotten our, our fair share of flack for yeah. trying to find ways to, to monetize the show. But no, the, the honest to goodness truth is anyone can turn out a, a quick and dirty podcast, but to do the podcast that I want to do takes time. And it takes a, a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of money. And there's just no way around that. I could either make a garbage show that, you know, our listenership would fall off and then what's the point, or I could make the show that I want to make. And if that becomes untenable, you know, make the hard decisions that have to be made. But, uh, this was never, never a game. You know, I was never toying with people or just, you know, trying to milk people for money that, that wasn't warranted. But no, the reality is things cost money and, uh, this show costs money. And, uh, I've put a lot into it, I, I, uh, that I will never get back. But like I said, this has paid dividends in so many other ways. And I have so many fond memories and I'm a richer person for it that I have no regrets, but at the same time to be financially responsible to my family and to you know, just where I'm at in my life, can't make it work right now. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we've done the vanity project thing for, for long enough. Yeah. It was uh, a silly little hobby that really kind of took off in ways that I wasn't expecting. And we've had a lot of fun and I really hope that I can find the right people who can have a lot of fun with it. And, uh, I'm excited to get back to being a fan of SNL rather than a commentator of SNL, even though I, uh, I am more than happy and would be excited to be invited on any other SNL podcast or any podcast on any topic at any time ever, because this is a lot of fun and, uh, you know, I love to gab. So, uh, I would always, uh, encourage anyone that feels like, you know, I might uh, have something to contribute to their show if they ever want me to pop in. My door is always open and I I would always love to explore those options, but I want to find some people that uh, can really double down and uh, do more with this than I can do right now. And I hope we find them. And if I like them, maybe I'll stick around. (laughs) Yes. yes. Uh, Yeah. So there's the, you know, the, the downer note that unfortunately we got to leave things on tonight, but yeah. You know, we got to, got to shoot the audience straight and, uh, that is the straight dope. That's where we're at with things. Well, that's how it's gotta be. That is how it's gotta be. So, uh, I think that's all of our questions for tonight. Um, Steve, it has been an honor and a privilege to podcast with you low these past four years. And, um, do you want to take us out? John, it would be my privilege. Hmm. All right. That's a cast. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the SNL After Party Podcast After Show, where we've been breaking down all the twists and turns of that uh, emotional climax to the SNL After Party Podcast 100th episode. I'm joined again by Steve Finn, and uh, yeah, we're uh, going to break down that thrilling climax. That Wow, uh, what yes. an episode. Yeah, who could have seen that coming? Um, but in all seriousness, folks, uh, Steve and I recorded that podcast maybe a week and a half ago now, something like that. And, uh, in the intervening time, we've been chatting a little bit because as, uh, people who just listen to the podcast know, I kind of sprung that on Steve. We hadn't really had much conversation about it. That was and, real. Yeah. yeah I, no, I was uh, genuinely <laughs> caught off guard. I mean, I, I saw it in the notes, like while we were already recording and like a pro, you know, <laughs> I just kept on going and, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was news to me on the spot. So that, that was definitely me hearing it for the first time in that podcast. 
Yeah, I was going for my uh, my reality TV gotcha moment. And uh, yeah, so uh, people can make what they will of that whole situation. But we got to talk in a little bit because as I mentioned on the cast, uh, I'm going to be actively looking for a new producer to take over. I don't want the cast to end if it can be ushered into capable hands. And, um, you know, we built something that I'm very proud of. And so if there is a way to keep it going, and if there's a way for me to even stay in the mix as a, a guest participant in a more casual capacity, it seemed like there might be a, uh, an opportunity for a win, 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 if we could bring someone else on board. And, uh, so Steve and I got to chatting and he said, well, you know what, I've been doing this with you long enough. I've kind of, you know, got the lay of the land and I have a passion for the material. Uh, what if I were to take a run at it? And I said, well, I, I didn't think that that was something that you'd want to do, but, uh, totally open to it. So it's maybe, not something I thought I wanted to do either until yeah, so, <laughs> after I had some deliberations. So. Right. Right. So in hindsight, maybe there was a conversation to be had before I, uh, dropped that on the cast. Uh, but regardless, we thought, you know what, let's just regroup here quickly and, uh, give people a little update on sort of where things are at as of today, which is, uh, January 20th. 2020. So Steve, I'll just, I'll throw to you. So we've had a few conversations, break it down for the people. What's going to happen here on out? Well, I've had a lot of time to think about things being in St. John's, Newfoundland during what we're calling snowmageddon. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, We've literally been in a state of emergency. First time it's ever been declared in the province. Yeah. It's uh, a little bit crazy here. You you can't even get a quart of milk. Like Mm -hmm. everything is just shut down. Yeah, it's a it's a pity that you had to eat your cats just for survival, but hey, you do what you got to do in Newfoundland. Yeah, well, if it worked for them, it was straight to the humans. So yes. <laughs> yeah, we're we're trying to stave off a Donner Party situation as long as possible, but hey, uh things are getting kind of tense up there. So I'll I'll check in with you in a couple of days, see how see how things are uh <laughs> how things are working out for you. <laughs> yeah. But I got to thinking, you know, I've been with this podcast since the beginning. It's mm-hmm. been what, four years. I kind of got a, a sense of you know, how this all goes. So I at least want to give this a run, keep it in the family. Sure. And, uh, I'm going to try my best to put out a podcast worthy of, of John's, uh, you know, benchmarks. (laughs) I'll probably fail. I'll probably fail in some way or another, but you know, I, I, I got a lot to learn, but I do want to have a, have a go at, uh, taking the helm as it were, just, uh, just to keep episodes coming out. Sure. It may not be a long-term thing, but I at least want to see this podcast getting, uh, shows out without any interruption. And if I could step in to do that at the very least, I feel like I've done something for, you know, something that I, I feel like I've come to love over four years. Excellent. Okay. So to just build on that, uh, what Steve's alluding to is he's going to be taking over producer role and, uh, not indefinitely. And there's no long-term commitment. Uh, this is just basically a, let's give this a shot and let's have Steve step in and he can man the ship until we figure out what the long-term plan is for the cast. So nothing's really changed from what I'd mentioned when we recorded previously, I am still looking for long-term producers and that very well may turn out to be Steve, but until he's had a chance to take a run at it and see if, you know, this is something that he wants to do long-term, we don't want to take any options off the table. So I am still actively looking for anyone that 
maybe would like to wear that hat and take over the show long-term. But in the meantime, Steve has decided that uh, not only does he want to kind of learn the ropes and see if he's got a flair for producing, but like he mentioned, he doesn't want to just let the cast lapse and us maybe check in once a month to do a, a month in review while we try out new potential producers. He, he wants to keep the coverage going through the end of the season. And you know, we have enough support on Patreon that there really is no reason to interrupt that. The only uh, thing that, you know, was a deal breaker for me was me personally having to put in all the time of doing the end to end production process for the whole back half of the season. I just couldn't commit to that, uh, with my current situation, but with Steve shouldering some of the load and taking that off me where I can just basically show up and chat with him, uh, that might be a situation that, uh, is viable. And so we're going to try it out. We don't know what the future holds. You know, there may be more updates as we go throughout the season and we kind of, you know, have to pivot and, and rejigger things and just figure out, you know, how things are going to unfold long-term. But for now, Steve's going to step in. We're going to have some version of the show coming out, um, after the, uh, January 25th episode, and, uh, it's going to be Steve at the helm and I'm going to pop in to chat with him. And then I'm going to wash my hands of the whole thing and, and see what drops on the feed. So, uh, I'm as excited as hopefully our audience to see what that looks like. I hope it's not a total mess, but I have the utmost confidence in Steve's ability to turn out something, uh, that may not be my particular version of the show, but I'm sure is going to be equally entertaining in its own right. So Yes. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the, the update and hopefully it's a positive one for our audience. Uh, I hope we didn't bring anyone to tears with, you know, that dramatic conclusion to episode 100. Um, but anyone who actually, you know, does care about the future of the cast, this is maybe a, a little bit more of a positive. Yep. And there <laughs> are, there are certain traditions that I will be upholding, uh, out of respect for, sure. you know, the, the institution that is, uh, the after party. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, with my own personal voice upon that, hopefully I can make something worth listening to. Yes. But before we call it a night and put a bow on this little supplemental epilogue to our 100th episode, I just want to reiterate, um, as much as Steve is going to be taking over for the time being, seriously, if there is anyone out there with a passion for SNL that knows the podcasting game and really thinks that this is something that they would want to do long-term, I still want to have that conversation. So I'm encouraging anyone that thinks that they might be a good fit, um, to reach out through the website, snlpodcast.com. We have a contact form there. You can just email feedback at snlpodcast.com. That'll go right to me, uh, or any other way that you can get in touch with us. Uh, obviously through our social media, our handles are all at SNL podcast. So, uh, anyone who reaches out, I would love to have that conversation. I make no promises, but at the same time, I want the show to move forward in capable hands. And I just want to make sure that any conversations that could be had are had. So by all means, reach out. It's not going to offend Steve. He, uh, he has made it quite clear to me off air that, uh, this is an interim solution. And while he wants to throw his hat in the ring for possibly being the long-term producer, he's optimistic about the possibility of having other people come in and, and maybe, um, take the reins as well. So everything's on the table at this point. I want to have these conversations. If there's anyone out there that thinks that, uh, you know, that's something that they would like to explore by all means, reach out. Let's talk. Yeah. I just want to take the baton just for the immediate moment. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't want to see a gap in these podcasts. I want to, you know, come back from this Christmas break with something. Yes. Uh, you know, there's so many people invested in this and, you know, I can't think of any better way to show my appreciation by at least keeping this going. 
while there's still, you know, a question mark next to the future of this podcast, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any reason why we can't get together and at least listen to a few familiar voices talk about SNL. The whole reason we got together in the first place. Absolutely. And just to put a, a bookend on that point, we do have a lot of people invested, particularly through our Patreon. And so just to all of our patrons, I want to again, express as always our sincere gratitude for your support and also encourage you, um, to not unsubscribe because we're going to keep the, the current model going where we're releasing the full cast first for the patrons. And then we're going to do a, um, selected highlights, public release. So, uh, there's still hopefully value to be found <laughs> on the Patreon. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if the cast turns out to be any good and I'm certainly confident that it will be. Um, I'm sure that you'll continue to get your money's worth. So I hope everyone hangs in there. I hope I didn't spook anyone. And I think that's about all we need to cover. You got any other thoughts, Steve? That would cover it. All right. That's a supplement. (laughs) Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Neil Weinstein, Justin Gardner, Carissa Eubank, Aaron and Schrader, Donald Yates, Zachary Phillips, Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription will help us in our future endeavors and is greatly appreciated. This has been episode number 100 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. On behalf of myself and Steve, good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Be a cinch. This is Don Pardo. Good night.